Get your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, where it's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Happy holiday season to you and yours. Brooke Grimsley is here, Super Bowl champ, Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. How are we doing, kids? Oh. Doing great. I'm doing great because I've already had two cookies this morning because <laughs> of you, Randy. You're off to a roaring start, Brooke. Look at this beautiful. We walked in this morning, one, two, so much Christmas cheer because of your sweater. So, Randy, if you could show that to the sure, YouTube channel. Sure, yeah, Here we go. There we uh, go. If you're on the YouTube channel. Merry uh, Christmas. There it is. And you, Gary, you can describe this. This is uh, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. There we go. <laughs> we, we know that. Famous I love that. A nod to Kevin McAllister. <laughs> yeah, I love Home that. Alone. And then we had presents waiting for us because you are Santa. And it's cookies. Oh, and Carrie's eating one right now. Give us a description, Carrie. You know, it's a chocolate chip cookie. It's um, very <laughs> chewy, um, delightful. Not one, you know, I, I enjoy the, the softer cookies. I am a softer cookie guy, too. The crunchy yeah. ones because you don't have to dip them necessarily in milk. But this is a good portion of chocolate chips. And a taste of brown sugar in there. You did a fantastic job. Just the, Thank you. the right amount of... All of the things that needed into these ingredients, you've done a fantastic job. So glad, you're, oh. gl- yep. glad you're enjoying them. I, I'm I already getting my sugar oh. high right now. It's kicking in. Two cookies in, and it's 7.01. Okay, so uh, pre, <laughs> pre-pandemic, I don't know if our bosses are listening right now, but pre-pandemic, Carrie will remember this. Not only did we have Starbucks coffee in the break room, I don't drink coffee, but we had spectacular hot chocolate back in the day. I don't even know if we have hot chocolate in our break room right now, but I am imploring our bosses Hmm. to provide it for us. I think we do in the the machine. Okay, I'll, I'll have to check because I... Haven't paid much attention during the summer. Hot chocolate is a 23 <laughs> degree in St. Louis necessity, and it's it's 23 <laughs> dang degrees. Is that what the temperature is? Yeah, we came in at the same time, and I'm like, it's it's a little cold today. <laughs> yeah, it's that smack you in the face type of cold I don't like this morning. That cold. Yep. No. Uh, we're we're going to talk to John Kelly. He's down in Tampa. You know, John Kelly was the first voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Hmm. And uh, he'll join us from Tampa where the Blues play tonight. He has not returned there to be their voice. He's our voice of the Blues. And uh, J.K. will be with us coming up at 8.15. we got a lot, of, lot to talk about, including props again to MI. Oh, by the way, did, has Mizzou made their announcement yet? Uh, Matthew, have you seen? Uh, if they haven't made it, Mizzou is getting the five-star left tackle that started every game for Oklahoma this year. What? Oh, green? Uh, th- that'll be announced today. Is that Caden nice. Green? Or... Yeah, that's it. Yes, yeah. Caden Green. That's announced? It's official? Wow. The, the bulletin I, I saw that it was, I didn't know if it was official official well, yet, it, but I know it was starting. It'll be announced today. Ooh. 
Yeah. So pretty good. There you go. That yeah. is huge for Mizzou. And the fact, too, that it's Oklahoma. I feel mm-hmm. like Mizzou and Oklahoma have had a little rivalry going on, especially yeah. here lately between the whole transfer portal and recruits and all that different kind of stuff. Right. So yeah, another win East for Mizzou. Coming yes. over from Oklahoma. And way back when, Jeremy Macklin had committed to Oklahoma and decommitted, and then that's why he wound up at the University of Missouri. So, yeah, so uh, the, uh, a good, solid pickup on the offensive line. Matthew, what do you got? So y- yesterday, I-, I just missed this, yesterday, 8.24 p.m. Um, on three, made their prediction of Caden Green, and then Car- Carrington Harrison, who obviously covers Mizzou very well over on the Kansas side, uh, put up crystal ball tomorrow uh, two minutes two minutes later mm-hmm. uh, with his favorite uh, gift, which is the little Mizzou kid doing, the, doing that oh, shuffle, okay. which, uh-huh. I, which I love. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's unbelievably huge. I mean, you saw how Mizzou turned around this year when the offensive mm-hmm. line really – clicked it into gear around week three and from there on in that was a huge part of their offense and a huge part of this entire team and so man winning the battle in the trenches in the sec is is step one and, right, and, and that's right. how you do it so that will uh, apparently be announced today caden green to mizzou now speaking of mizzou great news last night for the tigers because former tiger drew lock got the start surprised himself with the start for the <laughs> seattle seahawks <laughs> against the philadelphia eagles and his seahawks down late and you figure okay it's drew lock it's the eagles the it's the seahawks it's uh, dk metcalf hasn't done anything all game long and lock hits metcalf they start at their own eight-yard line, and as Joe Buck mentioned, first to 92, started their own eight-yard line and a big pass to Metcalf, and that set up the game winner from Locke to a guy I'm sure that he'll have a bet with as we approach the Cotton Bowl. <laughs> Locke, end zone, it is caught, touchdown, Seattle! And they won it, Seattle did, snapping a four-game losing streak. They win it 20-17 to over the Eagles, who have lost three in a row now. Yeah, I mean, you, the the NFL is kind of weird. I, I don't know that I would be too concerned about the Eagles' loss yesterday. You have a quarterback that had to travel uh, by himself away from the team because he was dealing with an illness. You're traveling across country to Seattle, which is a tough place to play in. And so I, I, I don't know that I would be too concerned. Hopefully, the, only, the one concern that you do have with Philadelphia is that the fact that offensively they just seem stagnant all season, and, and you would assume that that's part of it, not having mm-hmm. the offensive coordinator who left to become the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So that comes with it, but they have not been able to just get that offense flowing smoothly all season. If you want to get your offense flowing smoothly down the stretch, Play the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Giants in your last three. Yeah. Jalen Hurts, he had some comments last night in his postgame. Obviously very frustrated, but he said he didn't think that they were committed enough. Now, of course, there's a lot more to that quote, but is that just him trying to say this wasn't good enough, or is there some concern with that quote? I, I don't know. I, I think he's just saying, overall, we're not doing the small, detailed things. You lose to the 49ers who are probably the best team in the NFC. You lose to the Cowboys, who were playing extremely well, and that's on the road. And again, you go to Seattle and take a loss. The worst loss that they have is the Jets game, where they just stunk it up and he turned the ball over three times. Um, But again, I wouldn't be too concerned. Like you said, Randy, you got three games here. 
Jets, Cardinals, I mean, sorry, Giants, Cardinals, Giants, where you are going to, those can be get right games. Yep. <laughs> if you haven't been committed enough, you, you find commitment when you're playing against teams that aren't as good as you are. So they'll probably finish the season in the, in the right direction. And Seattle thrusts himself back into the playoff race, too, at 7-7 seven seven after losing four in a row. Uh, right now, with the way their schedule stacks up, and uh, I'll give you their complete schedule here in a moment, the 7-7 seven and seven Seattle Seahawks are tied with the Rams, and uh, their remaining games now are with the Titans at Tennessee, at, oh, ne- at Nicheville. Remember the Titans. Uh-huh. And then they've got the Steelers at home. Sorry, Kerry. Uh, oh, man. And then they go to Arizona. So very easy chance for for the Titans to finish 10-7. and seven. And if they can do that, then they I, I would suggest that the they have Seahawks. a really good chance. Hmm? The Seahawks. Yeah, Seahawks. Yeah. I didn't want to correct you because that would be an yeah, amazing was, was thing to happen. They already got 10 losses. Yeah, I didn't want to stop you, though, because I was like, you know what? One can dream. Let's go with it. sounds nice. Yeah. But you look at the wild card race in the NFC, and it's wide open right now. Uh, for that w- last wild card spot, right now it's held by the Rams at seven and seven. But you've got Seattle at seven and seven, New Orleans at seven and seven. The Falcons aren't going anywhere. Sorry, Anthony Stoller. He said he hates his team. By the way, he should. Uh, and and the, <laughs> he, I don't know. He, yeah, he should. should. Yeah, they're bad. They lost to the. You watch Desmond Ritter throw that interception in the fourth quarter, and then the Atlanta Falcons go down. I mean, sorry, the Carolina Panthers go down and score on a field goal. He should not like his team. No. There's nothing. Now, you got all of these guys around, the the, the skill position guys, first-round draft picks. Yeah. It's not fun to watch. Uh, here is Drew Locke with Lisa Salters last night after the Seahawks' victory. Amazing won't do it justice. Amazing won't do it justice. But amazing also doesn't do justice with the O-line, what DK did on that catch, what the receivers did, what Ken Walker Zach Charbonnet did all game long, the tight ends, man. It takes a special group to rally around a guy that, you know, has come into his second game of the year, right? Used to the same thing all year long, same cadence, same spin of the ball, everything. A team like that, not just the offense, the defense to rally around. Me tonight, man, that was that was amazing. I see some I hear some emotion in your voice. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed. Blessed with a great group of guys, a great city, great coaching staff. It's just, it's, it's awesome. It's a wow. He might not be able to play, but man, he's a good interview. And he, he played last night. He, he played did last play night. last but night. But I mean, you look at his body of work, it's yeah. not that impressive. Yeah. Well, what about his time with the Broncos? Because there was some discussion about that. Do you think that that was the right situation no. that he was set up to succeed there? He was set up to fail. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> Carry. He got traded, <laughs> so you know they they felt like they needed to move on. Um, the only but well, let's point out the only success they had was bringing in Peyton Manning yes. at, at that position. They yeah. they tried a lot of guys. Yeah, Russell Wilson. He's he's got them. Uh, well, it's a different coach, different ownership, different deal altogether. On the playoff door. They're yeah. trying. He didn't last year. No, 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 he did not. Um, yeah, I think that was a good game for the Seattle Seahawks. Again, having your backup quarterback, and he's right. You know. All of those things are different. When you're accustomed to hearing even how the, the calls are made in the huddle, it just sounds different from person to person. So, And cadence is a, is a huge thing as well. When you're hearing it differently from a different person, you know, it's a little bit unfamiliar. But the, the Seattle Seahawks found a way, drove down, which was surprising to me. Matt Patricia calling defensive plays. I don't mm-hmm. know. I think, they are, I think they are scuffling over there in Philadelphia. And then you go man-to-man, single high safety, bring the safety down, and you go man-to-man, and Bradbury just lets – Jackson Smith and Jigba run right by him without any, you know, anything impeding his progress. It's a, uh, it's tough. 
You know, I'm generally, as you know. Yeah. I'll tell you this. I don't think I would or could like Matt Patricia. I don't like that guy. Hmm, I wonder why. Ever? Yeah. Never. It is no. I'm still chewing on my. Yeah, he was. He, he he's a guy. Okay, so so he he walks up with his stupid Never. crumb-filled beard as head coach of the Lions up to the podium. Okay, and there's a guy that's dre- a, a reporter that's dressed up for Halloween, and he he walks up there with his two and eight team or whatever. Or maybe it was two and five or something. And, and the guy's disgusting. I mean, he's just. And you hate to say physically, but he was. He never shaved. He's just. <laughs> he, he, nothing was ironed. He never looked presentable. Downtrodden. No, and, and downtrodden is good. Like he Homeless, just came out of a cave. Uh, unhoused is the new term. He looked unhoused. And he walks up to the podium in Lions facility and tells a reporter who's dressed up for Halloween, get with the program. Well, number one, I'm not with your program. I don't want to be unhoused. And number two, why not have a little bit of fun? Why What's the program? What the, is the, the, the program did clearly not work. No. So, and then just he was such a... Richard when he was the coach of the Lions. And I, I wouldn't want anything to do with it. You know that what guy. bothers me about him is the damn pencil in his ear. Yeah, like, that's I, what why? Why? Yeah. why? What are you, to me yeah. it's almost like a gimmick at this point. You you you're not you don't need that doggone pencil right there. No. You should be writing down things and, and keeping track of what's going on. You don't need that. That's a it's a thing. It's a stick. He just yeah. you know, does he have a sharpener too in his pocket? Know, because man. that's the other Did downfall. The pencil. pencil? Right. Yeah. You just send somebody to a gopher to. to go get him another one. Uh, and, and Matt. One other part, you're not that great, okay? Do something first. Do you are the quintessential Bill Belichick disciple. So uh, if if you're going to tell people to get with the program, have a program that works, okay? So there's my little, uh, and that's uh, there might be only two or three people in the world that I and I have stronger feelings about somebody else, but not to be brought up here. But uh, <laughs> he is he is one of those people that I just don't have a huge deal of affection for. No. No. Well, but, and maybe at some point he'll shave. I don't know. And maybe he'll do nice things. I don't know. But here's one thing. And, and this is why one particular owner in the National Football League probably would never hire Matt Patricia. Mm. So mm. You know, he, he doesn't want to deal with the unhoused. But the unhoused Brandy. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> There's so much more to that story. Like, why was the reporter the only person dressed up in a Halloween costume? I think like... it was an all-out Halloween costume. Oh. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Lions reporter. Halloween costume. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the costume was making fun of him. Oh, and, and, the, and the reporter the reporter was slouching. <laughs> oh, that really bothered yeah. him oh, too. Uh, wait, Vrabel had something similar when to that this season Patricia, with the reporter. I think incredible posture. Yeah. I think right. incredible posture. So, uh, reporter, and I don't remember what the trade was. Reporter, why do you think this move makes your franchise better? Patricia, uh, well, you know, do me a favor. Just kind of sit up. Just, like, have a little respect for the process. Every day you come and ask me questions, and you're kind of like, you know, give me this. Reporter, I'm sitting. <laughs> Patricia, I'm asking just to be a little respectful of this whole process. Reporter, okay, that's fine. Patricia, so ask me a question professionally, and I'll answer it for you. Reporter, okay, why do you feel like this move makes your franchise better? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, He's the posture police, huh? He is. Yeah. Better be standing yeah, tall when you're talking to him. Come on, man. That's weird. Be better. <laughs> I don't know how I would respond in an in an, in a situation like that. 
if you were the reporter? Yeah, probably wouldn't be great. It yeah. just wouldn't be. Uh, Excuse me? Yeah. Say what? I'm sorry? No. How about you coach better, sir? Yeah. <laughs> Vrabel did have an incident. If you guys look it up, Vrabel had an incident with a reporter this season. Kind of the same thing, except for the way he was holding his hand. And Vrabel, like, ripped him apart for that. He's like, you're holding your hand like this. And, like, <laughs> he didn't like it whatsoever. <laughs> it was one of the weirdest interactions. I get it. Things get tense. I, mm-hmm. I completely understand. But if anything, the reporters are going to make a great story out of that. So it works more in their favor. Right. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, That's Brooke. That's Carrie. I'm Randy. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, Jeremy Rutherford has an interesting piece up at The Athletic about what Stanley Tucci is trying to accomplish with the St. Louis Blues. What is he doing? I don't think that's his name. That's a a new guy behind the bench. His name's Drew. Drew, not two. Not two. (laughs) Very, I know, very very similar names. They look a lot alike. Okay. Yeah. Also, uh, just different mindsets. One of them is going to fix the power play. The other one's going to bring in a nice red wine and a nice sweater vest. There oh, you go. Oh. It's a lovely thing. Okay, Drew Bannister. Okay, <laughs> what's he trying to do with the Blues next on 101 ESPN? You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Blues get it. Kyrou. Partial break. He's in. He shoots. He scores! Jordan Kyrou. He's tied in for the Blues in two. He looked like an elite player in the league, and he he did things the right way. You know, like he was he was tracking down pucks, uh, stopping on pucks. He was winning wall battles. Offensively, you know, he was dangerous. Every time he touched the puck, he was dangerous. I thought he was outstanding. That is the new head coach of your St. Louis Blues, interim head coach Drew Bannister. And at The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford has a piece up about five things we've learned about Drew Bannister early on. And one is that, like Craig Berube, he wants accountability and competitiveness, which is something obviously that the team struggled getting the message from Craig Berube with. And it's going to be on the captains. And Bannister, before he met with the whole team, met with Pareko, uh, Shen, Pareko, Falk, and Thomas and said, I expect the four captains to set the tone for the rest of the guys. Shenner and guys like that, I'm new to them. But the honesty thing is, I know Craig was very direct and honest with them, and they're going to get the same thing with me. The message might be different in how it's delivered, but it's going to be direct and it's going to be honest. I wonder if over the long term, this is a group that's capable of being highly competitive on a night-in, night-out basis. I think I'm looking at, you know, the 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 piece from Jerry, Jeremy Rutherford where he gave the five staples, I guess, mm-hmm. the five philosophies that, that Drew Bannister is going to bring is accountability and compete, getting to their game, power play traction, Kyrou trending up playing for each other. I wonder how many of those bullet points were the same thing that Craig Berube said. Five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it's the same message, just a different messenger, maybe it gets through and it's uh, you'll hear it better. But at some point, you that has to be an internal thing. And so I know these last couple of games have been really good for the Blues. You know, they got down uh, last game and were able to come back. That's a good sign because that's something that if they got down in a game, you pretty much knew that they were going to lose that game. But – I wonder if this wears off and then they go back to who they have been. If you're not able to or unwilling to compete and play for each other every single night, despite of who is on the bench or behind the bench, that that's problematic. So, you know, I'm excited about what the last two games provided, but I want to see it more consistently going forward and see if they're able to continue it.
Yeah, that's the biggest thing because they've been consistently inconsistent this entire season. And you mentioned that Dallas game. That was the first time this season that they were able to erase a two-goal deficit, which was really huge for them because they haven't been able to do that. It seems like they would just crawl into a hole when they would get down and out. And so that is at least something encouraging, that you were able to do something the first time this season. I just really wish that these guys would have something. Is there something this season that you think – this is really, really good. This is an aspect that they can beat teams on, something that is very elite in their game right now. Elite in their game? Mm-hmm. When you're watching the Blues? I, I don't know if I've seen – I mean, they, they – when they want to, they play hard or they show yeah. great effort. And, and I think – you know, I thought last game they – you saw some things. It looks more, I guess, fluid on the, on the offensive end, on the offensive zone. They look more fluid. They look like they're taking better care of the puck and doing the things that – Craig Berube has been asking them to do, and now what Drew Bannister is asking them to do. That looks better, but I I think it's a small sample size, and you're going to have to see it more consistently for the rest of the season to believe that that's who they are. Yeah, I think for whatever reason, and maybe it falls on Doug Armstrong, and maybe it's a leadership issue, but there appears to be, from an effort standpoint, a lack of personal accountability Mm. among players on this team because we know they are capable of playing well when they play hard. They're... To, to answer your question, no, there is no elite aspect of this team. Not one. Well, Physically, where... they're incapable of being elite. They, they just are not going to compete with the best teams in the league. But if they exhibit effort on a regular basis, which is one thing they can control, then they can at least compete. Exactly. And that's when you ask about, okay, what is this team known for? What is their elite aspect of the game? You could easily identify that with the 2019 Blues. And I'm sure some people are tired of hearing that, but that, mm-hmm. that was not too long ago that you were able to see a championship team and what it took to get to that point. There was elite aspects of of their game there that we knew an identity because if you can figure that out that's also the identity of this group I still feel like the Blues haven't identified who that they fully are and maybe that does come in with the personal accountability mm-hmm. let's say penalty uh kill scoring is elite uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're, they're oh. pretty good on the short-handed goal yeah. hey there you um, go you identified it can, six six. can this team does this team have the talent to have a middle-of-the-pack power play. Now, I found it interesting, and Curbs has mentioned this several times over the last several weeks, that Colton Pareko never gets any power play time, which I think is kind of weird. But if you put the group together, could they be a middle-of-the-pack power play unit? I, I think you would have to see it. I think they have tried all types of combinations trying to figure out who was going to be the right combo to be on that power play, and it just hadn't worked out all season, especially for Craig Bruby. And so, you know, figuring out those pieces, just being more aggressive and getting shots on goal generally helps. And I was listening to Jamie the other day, and he was just saying good things happen when you shoot the puck at the net. It's it's bound to happen. Rebounds, pucks come off, and you're able to tip them in, or a shot gets tipped in because you're standing in front of it. It's hard for the goaltender to see what's going on. Shooting the puck on net, especially when you have the man advantage, I, I think that helps you score goals on the power play. And for some reason, they've had more shorthanded goals, which is yeah. something that will always be perplexing to me. But with the power play, you're right. They have tried just about every combination possible. I do agree that Kumpareko, with his shot, should be a big part of that. He I mean, that one rip, finally. I know. And he, he's really <laughs> good at it. And you would love to see more of it. I understand that there's you know different things and hangups with it. But it works for him. It works for Kumpareko. 
But when you look at the power play when it has been successful over the past few years, they have had roster turnover. They had David Perron, who was a big part of the Blues power play and mm-hmm. special teams. He was quarterbacking it. And then you even had Ryan O'Reilly, who was a big part of the Blues power play. So I Tarasenko. think that they're, and Tarasenko, and I think that they're trying to get Jordan Cairo to that point. It's just going to take a little bit longer for that to happen. The Blues power play is 9.2%. That is worst of the 32 teams in the NHL. To get to the middle of the pack, the Kings are 16th at 21.1%. I agree that the physical skill sets are there. Robert Thomas is a great passer. Kairou is a great shooter. Pareko has the big shot. Shen is a guy that will go to the front of the net. They, they've got guys to do things on the power play. I have no idea why this doesn't work. Well, part of it is Pareko not being on the point. But Tory Krug, I guess, is a big part of this, right? He's supposed to be the power play quarterback, and he's yes. just not the player he was in Boston. No. By the numbers, Robert Thomas is at the top five, five-on-five scorer in the league. Mm-hmm. Because he he has nothing on the power play. Everything for everything he's doing right now is coming in five on five hockey. And so I mean that's that's I think some one of the frustrating parts if you're Doug Armstrong is that on paper you'd think may, we might not have the depth of a Dallas or some or these good teams, but when we just put our best five on the ice, we should be able to play with most other teams' best five: Buchnevich, Thomas, Kairou, and then you know some talent with guys like Falk and Krug. I mean, we should be able to put five talented guys on the ice to beat four, and it just doesn't happen. Bobby, Tommy. Oh, he doesn't like that, Randy. No, he, but he's, he all, he, he's not listening right now. He's, he's asleep. <laughs> You're saying that he yeah. doesn't listen okay, at 726 yeah. every morning? No, not. Well, 826 in, on the East Coast. Oh, oh they are. yeah. So he's up. Oh, he's up. He's yeah. on, he might be on the uh, app. On the app, no doubt about it. Totally. <laughs> okay. He says he hates it, but that's okay. Uh, and then playing for each other. That was a question we had about the Blues last year, and I think it's fair to question whether or not this team is willing to sacrifice for each other. Yeah, that's a big part of it. That if you have to question that, then you're not going to be a good team. And, and because the best teams, especially the ones that I played on, they truly cared for one another on and off the field. They made sure that they took care of all of the business. No one was slacking in an area, and everyone held each other accountable. And so, if you are a teammate that is unwilling to be held accountable, or if you are a teammate that is unwilling to hold other teammates accountable, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. And that that's that's the the part about that is weird to me because again you spend so much time with your teammates more than you do your own family mm-hmm. you would think that hey I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure that I'm in the right place in the right spot for this guy exactly and just the last little point that I thought that was at the end of Jeremy Rutherford's article is where he's talking about Jordan Cairo getting him going does that seem like the key to success here of Sadly. job security for Bannister is that if you can let or let Jordan Cairo be what he needs to be and help him succeed, then that kind of almost seems like job security in itself. How do you like having the job of having to make somebody's mistake work? I think... It, and and it's, <laughs> it, Jordan Cairo's contract, I think we would all agree right now, at least a year and a half in, it looks like a mistake on the part of Doug Armstrong. Does it not? Five goals, a, 17 points in 22 yeah. games under Barubi this I, season. I think the, the question that I would have is, you hear a lot of Drew Bannister giving a lot of love to Jordan Cairo, mm-hmm. right? He, he's pushing him and, and mm-hmm. uplifting him. How long does that last before you're like, okay, man, you, now I've done my part. Now you need to do your part. So he played, Jordan played really well mm-hmm. in the last game, but I wonder does it wear on you as a coach if you always feel the need to, instead of being critical of a player, saying, hey, good job, good job, pat on the back, right, pat on right. the back, even if you're not 
doing a particularly good job in that moment. And here's what I wonder about Kyrie, and I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know him at all. But Kerry, as you know, as a player and coach, especially when players are making a lot of money, the only thing that you have that they value is playing time. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know if you take playing time away from Jordan Cairo if it bothers him. Well, Drew Bannister said that he will do that for players if they aren't. Mm-hmm. That's supposedly what he's oh, known for and something that he did in Springfield. Here's the thing. Coaches take playing time away from guys that don't really need to play. They don't really mm-hmm. take playing time away from guys that they need to play. So... I think it would be hard to sit a player being paid that much money and with those high expectations. Mm-hmm. It's harder to sit a guy. I mean, you can sit Tyler Tucker, right? You won't sit Cole Pareto. Charlie Rosen. Like, we're going to show you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sure. Like, certain players you're going to sit, and then there are certain players you're like, I need to sit them, but, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do that. So. I just thought of something. Having accountability buddies. This is a terrible idea, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. Accountability buddies. So where, where if you aren't doing your part, you're you're paired up with a buddy, then your buddy they also gets sit. in trouble. There you go. That could either go really well or people will hate each other. Uh, I don't yeah. know. No in between there. You have that in – we had something like that in college, and if a guy didn't finish his work, we – uh. Trust me, it didn't work well for the guy that didn't want to work hard. And, and, there you go, accountability. <laughs> By the way, if you do sit Jordan Cairo, you have neighbors at right wing, you have Kapanen at right wing, you have uh, Torpchenko a lot of times at right wing. It's not like the right wing is lighting it up for the St. Louis Blues anyway. Yeah. You so go. if you don't have Cairo and at least his potential, uh, you, you've got issues. And Cairo is uh, all the way up to six goals and 15 assists in 30 games. Nice. So a roll. Nice. Blues in Tampa tonight, 5 o'clock pregame, 6 o'clock faceoff here with Curbs and Joey on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we saw Drew Locke perform well last night, but if the NFL were to expand, is there enough quarterback talent in the world to satisfy the need? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. One, two, three, four. Football League complete last night with Seattle's 20-17 win over Philadelphia and with Drew Locke getting the start for the Seahawks, there have now been, in 15 weeks, 57 different starting quarterbacks in the NFL this year. 57 different starting quarterbacks, including 11 rookies that have started. 11 rookies have started. Now, most of the time in the NFL, when a quarterback doesn't work out, it's because he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Usually when you get taken, especially with a high pick in the NFL, you have some skill. But, man, it's amazing how NFL teams devour quarterbacks and don't give them a chance to turn into good quarterbacks before discarding them and moving on to the next guy. But yesterday, Matthew was talking about because the NFL is going to expand to at least eight international games a year, he was wondering if the league might expand. And the question is, even with 32 teams, are there enough good quarterbacks in the world to go around? No. (laughs) No. It's hard to play quarterback in the NFL. And that's why you see backup quarterbacks last so long. They they find a team and they're able to play for so many years. It's hard to be – there are 32 jobs in the world and and for that position for a starter. It's 32 people every year that are going to be doing that job. It is extremely tough 
to have success. And then, you know, being a backup quarterback, if you are in a good position, the best thing about a backup quarterback is when your quarterback stays healthy, mm-hmm. when you don't have to get on the field, when you can just ride that thing out and, and come in sparingly, take a couple of kneel downs at the end of the game or, you know, come in and hand the ball off a few times. It's extremely hard to play that position. And, and, and I wanted to run down some teams that haven't had any quarterback changes this year and see if you all can tell me what these teams have in common. San Francisco, Good. Tampa Bay, Good. Detroit, mm-hmm. Dallas, Miami, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Kansas City. Is it going to be a good offensive line? They all have good records. They all are leading the division. They are the division Uh, leaders mm -hmm. for every single conference, uh, for every single division. Those are the leaders. All of those teams have not had a quarterback uh, situation this season. And why do you think that that is, though? How are they able to maintain that health? Does it go to the O-line? It's the offensive line. It's the play calling. It's staying healthy and just being a a tough individual because football is hard. Trust me, there are times where things hurt like heck, and you're like, eh, "Yeah, I don't think I can, I don't think I can continue this." And then you got to say, "Yep, I can't continue it." So they're tough-minded players, but they also have really good teams, and they're able to do, you know, a lot of things. But that, that to me is interesting. All of the, it's a lot of teams in the, in, and then the Buffalo and Denver mm-hmm. are second in their divisions, and they haven't had quarterback issues either. Another part of this is I mentioned right place, right time. Brock Purdy gets drafted to a place where they have a quarterback whisperer in Kyle Shanahan. He's got a history of developing and working with MVP, Matt Ryan, quality quarterbacks. The Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh was willing to change his system to take advantage of the skills of Lamar Jackson. The Cowboys, Mike McCarthy, he developed Aaron Rodgers, and now look at where with... Kellen Moore gone, where Dak Prescott has gone. Miami, where did Mike McDaniel work? He worked under Kyle Shanahan, and that's one of the reasons for Tua's ascendance. Detroit, Jared Goff was able to sit, and he didn't like it, but once he got to play, it was under Sean McVay, a very good quarterbacks coach. And Philadelphia, Nick Sirianni is the same. Then you look at the bottom of the league. Carolina, uh, Bryce Young, Frank Reich clearly has lost his touch and now he's gone. The New England Patriots, Dick Rabine, Charlie Weiss developed Tom Brady. They have not developed a quarterback since. Bill Belichick is not a quarterback developer. Arizona Cardinals, we don't know, but they've, they hired a defensive coordinator to work with Kyler Murray, and we don't know what Kyler Murray is going to become. Washington, when's the last time they developed a quarterback? And when's the last time Ron Rivera developed a quarterback? The Jets, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, really? Yeah. And the and he, Robert Sala, certainly didn't take advantage of having uh, a youngster like Zach uh, Wilson. The Titans, uh, they just keep going through them. They keep devouring young quarterbacks. The Chargers, how bad is their coaching? It's amazing how good quarterback coaching benefits quarterbacks and bad quarterback coaching really hurts them. So what do you think is more beneficial? If you could pick one or the other and and put it in importance, would it be having the right coach to coach a young quarterback or would it be having a really good O-line in front of them? Oh, two words. Brock Purdy. What would Brock Purdy be doing if he were with the Jets and coming in and what would Zach Wilson be doing if he were with the Niners? Zach Wilson would be better. But they also have a better offensive line. That's what I'm saying. I, yeah, Purdy's it, playing behind the great yeah. offensive line with a great coach. And if, uh, if Purdy w- was in that disaster area, that, that scrap but, heap in, in he, New York, he, yeah, he, yeah. he might be better than Wilson, but he wouldn't be, they would not be an elite team. And the Niners would still be an elite team. I think Kyle Shanahan would be an upgrade, too, though. If, if, you, put, saying, if yeah. you put Kyle Shanahan in New York with the Jets, despite that bad offensive line, yeah. 
he's such a creative playmaker. Uh, he would be oh, able yeah. to find a way to get all of those guys the football and get the ball to him quickly. I don't think, you know, sometimes I, I said this before, quarterbacks and, and sometimes offensive coordinators think in order to get an 80-yard touchdown pass, you got to throw the ball mm-hmm. 75 yards. You can throw it at the mm-hmm. line of scrimmage, and they can run for 80. And, yeah. and I think Kyle Shanahan understands get the ball to my guys as quickly as possible, let them make plays. It is environment. It's, it's coaching. It's the uh, – it's the offensive line. I, I've said for a long time, and this I, I'm taking it from Dan Deerdorf. You, you watch all these teams that draft quarterbacks. Jets, perfect example. Draft all these quarterbacks high, but they never build the offensive line in front of them. You always take, if you don't have a quarterback or an offensive tackle, take the offensive tackle and then get the quarterback later. Because if you don't have the offensive tackle, your quarterback's going to get killed anyway. The Titans did that, and that still didn't really work out for them in recent years. But still, at the same time, I do think that there's a lot to, if you have a good offensive line in front of them, what is the easiest way to kill a young quarterback's career? Is his confidence Mm -hmm. not being able to be built up, right? So if if he's getting attacked every single game and he's not getting much of a break, what does that do to his trajectory? And by the way, we talk about bad quarterbacks. It's amazing how many bad offensive lines there are in the league. There are, yeah. But it all starts up front. It's all about your... Your big guys beating their big guys. Mm-hmm. And till the end of time, as much as they try to take hitting and violence out of football, there are going to be violent plays by violent big men up front, and that's how teams are going to win games. Always. It's violent. It's a violent sport. Yeah. yeah you, you try to police it as best as possible, but people are going to get hit, man. And that's the name of the game. You're going to get hit. Yeah. Part of it. Yeah, I, that's what's so surprising to me is that obviously the quarterbacks are so important, and it's such a huge part of the NFL is having a franchise quarterback. They're the stars of the show, but if you don't have a good O lineman in front of them or O line in front of them, then they're not going to s- succeed right. whatsoever. And also, they'll struggle to run the ball, so it affects all aspects of your game offensively. And Brooke, I, I believe this is what's happening. Carrie, tell me if I'm wrong. In 2011, with the new CBA, when they took coaches away from players during the offseason and cut back on practices, the cohesion necessary for the offensive line disappeared. And now that cohesion, uh, you had the hogs. You had the Great Wall of St. Louis. You had, everybody knows, it was Pace, Timmerman, Grudadoria, or McCollum, Tom Newton, Fred Miller, or Ryan Tucker. But Hanny built cohesion among his group and now it's almost impossible with the the lack of time that coaches have with their players to build a cohesive offensive line it's um i mean football requires that physical element like you can't police the the entire physical part of it out of it because guys don't tackle as well especially early in the season guys don't block as well because they haven't been doing it like you have to have those repetitions full speed in order to play a game on sunday at full speed just a quick question for you. Obviously, what is the difference? We know that the talent level is different because then everybody's talented when you get to the NFL. But what about the technique difference between college football and NFL? Well, it's in the offensive line specifically, in in college, they don't teach it the way that it's taught in the NFL. It's mm-hmm. not – and not in terms of the technical aspect, but the terms of – when you're in the NFL, you understand pass protection and changing, okay, we got four – Four down linemen, we got five offensive linemen, we got four of these guys, and the Mike linebacker. Those are the five guys we're responsible for. Running backs, quarterback are responsible for everybody else. That can change based on who's blitzing. So instead of him, now it's him. So we got these four guys and him. In college, 
they do a lot of RPOs, which is we're going to run the ball and get the ball out before we have to get our linemen downfield. So it's it's not the same as the pass protection. So it, it changes that element. It's easier when I can tell you, okay, we're going to run this play. It's a run play, mm-hmm. yeah. but we're going to throw the ball off of it. And it's on the quarterback to throw the ball before you get down line, down the field. That's all you have to do is focus on blocking this guy. Mm-hmm. It's nothing else. It's all it's all very simple in college and a lot of college, a lot of um, offenses, they run those RPOs. It's a lot more easier for offensive linemen and quarterbacks when they get to the next level. It's a transition of trying to understand who to block. When the Rams drafted Jason Smith out of Baylor with the second pick in the 2009 draft, guess how many plays in college he lined up in a three-point stance? Settle. Zero. Zero? Not one. He had never lined up in a three-point stance in college. Not one single time. And that's a guy that on the very first day of minicamp, this isn't even the first day of training camp, first day of minicamp, the coaches get him and say, he'll never play left tackle for us. You can say the same thing for quarterbacks because a lot of them yep. don't go under right. center. Sam Bradford. Uh, they don't know how to yeah. take a snap Sam from Bradford under had center. to be taught how to clap out of a huddle. Yeah. They don't, because <laughs> everybody's looking to the sideline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're lined up on the line of scrimmage, and they're ready to, you know, there's no words being taught. My being favorite spoken. Jason Smith anecdote is that when he got drafted, all the St. Louis guys who were playing for the Tigers were watching the draft and just go, that former tight end? Oh, he's going to suck. Yeah. And, well, they weren't wrong. Well, and then the other end of the spectrum was Greg Robinson, who, by the way, had that entrepreneurial spirit about him, so we'll give him credit for that. <laughs> but... <laughs> So he was driving through Texas with a van full of marijuana. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. It wasn't legal at the time. But there's a word. He, a word uh, he, yeah. he was almost the antithesis. He was 20, one of the well, two reasons he got taken. He was 20 years old and he was from Auburn, and Les Snead was an Auburn guy. But he had never had to pass block because that yeah, was the way the Auburn worked. So it was completely different. So you need to have. This is why I always say, I, I, you, you give me a, an offensive line full of Big Ten guys and I'll take my chances. If you give me an offensive line full of Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State guys, uh, Iowa, I, I will take my chances with those guys because they still play cold weather football in the Big Ten. Gary, you can. Yeah, I, 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 yeah we play man football. Yeah, yeah. Big Ten. I know yeah. it might mean more in other places, but we we put our hand in the dirt and go forward. I know. in the Big Ten. Yep. Yeah. Coming up on 101 ESPN, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. Yo ho! We've got take it or leave it coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. I want to say something. I want to put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, set it right back. Get your text in test 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final author. Take it or leave it. For Tioli here on 101 ESPN, Brooke, Carey, Randy, and Matthew. Get your text in. 314-399-9646. 314-399-YO-HO. All right, kids. Uh, Drew Locke just turned 27 last month and had a win last night, a dramatic win, a 92-yard game-winning touchdown drive for Seattle. Take it or leave it. Some team somewhere has Drew Locke competing for a starting job next year. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to have to possibly leave it too because I think you might need a little I love the story though that with his second shot he was able to do that but I think you might need to see a a wee bit more 
I would say he probably needs a wee bit more too. But the skill set is there. Yeah, he's got charisma's a, there. I mean, yep. he's, he might be competing in Seattle. I don't know. I know Gino got a new contract last year, but you know he's he's a little bit older. He's had a rugged year too. Yeah, he's been struggling this year. He and had they aren't a great gonna, year last yeah. year. Now they this is a franchise that did take Russell Wilson in the third round and started him right away. Yeah. So it's not like the Seahawks need a high first round pick that was, to take a quarterback. And that was after paying Matt Flynn a yeah. contract. So yeah. they don't have an issue of. You know who's playing better, despite the contract. Right. We're gonna we're gonna let that guy play. Um, so Tyreek Hill is 458 yards away from 2,000 yards. Missed one game. Take it or leave it. He's got three games left. Take it or leave it. He gets to 2,000. He is your NFL MVP. Ooh, is your NFL MVP? So he needs about 150 yards a game, 153 yards a game to eclipse. That's very good math, Randy. Thank you. Good job. I <laughs> believe that he will do that, but. I don't think he'll win MVP because I think the MVP is coming from San Francisco. Yeah, I'm going to have to leave it. I think it's going to be Brock Purdy leads the pack right now. Mm -hmm. Now, those two, Purdy and McCaffrey, could split votes. Yeah, they cancel each other out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, guys. The other part of it might be, though, is I wonder if Tua and Tyreek would cancel each other out. Oh, Mm -hmm. there you go. Split it four ways. Yeah, happen. there you go. Four-way MVP. <laughs> it feels like it with the season None of that we've all had. Have been great, so we're just gonna <laughs> give everybody a trophy. Yeah, how about just giving it to Lamar? Let's do that. <laughs> do that again. So, according to Adam Schefter, Mason Rudolph will take oh, over as the Steelers' bro. starting quarterback. Bro. Take bro. it or leave it, guys. Leave it. This will be a time <laughs> that Rudolph won't be able to save Christmas. Oh, I'll take that. Oh, yeah. I'll take it 100%, Brooke. Well done. I, I thought he was going to be released before the season even started. I think that he's still on the roster. Just troubling lingering hanging around it's it's perfect for christmas time this weekend is. yeah he will what not be on yeah. the other end brook on the other end brook yeah, he, he let us slay so there's a good chance just slide right on down Listen. the standings <laughs> you all hey 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 what hey we're sorry that you have that quarterback i'm sorry too man i'm sorry about uh, i was a fan of a team that had keith null start oh hey carrie <laughs> carrie i have some audio from yesterday where michelle on on sports and like compared the steelers and the cardinals well unfortunately uh the Cardinals and the Steelers kind of continue, yeah. continuing that buddy-buddy thing they got going, apparently. Yeah, it's not great, man. Not no. great. No. Mason going to come out here and throw for 450 and 3-8 touchdown. No, he's not. Okay, he's, he's not. I know he's not. <laughs> I'm wishful thinking, man. Go get Doug Hodges. Come on. All right. What do you got for us, Matthew? Take it or leave it. Both the Eagles and the Chiefs failed to win a playoff game this year. Ooh, I'm going to leave that. Mm. I'm going to leave that, too. Yeah. Right now, it. the Chiefs, I think, would have to either play the Jake Browning-led Bengals or the Joe Flacco-led Browns in the first round. And the Eagles are tracking to play potentially a division-winning Tampa Bay Buccaneers squad in the first round of the playoffs. So they're not te- they're not tearing teams apart like they were last year, but those aren't exactly tough rounds, you know, first-round yeah. matchups either. Yeah, not bad. I think, uh, I think you can do that one. Take it or leave. The Super Bowl will be the 49ers and the Ravens with San Francisco finally winning. Take it preview on Monday Night Football next week on, on Christmas night. I'll take it that that's the matchup. I'm going to leave it that San Francisco wins. Mm. I got Baltimore. 
I like Lamar, man. I I, I hate to say it. I, like, I would win. love for him to be in black and gold. He he would be awesome. He would be. Yeah. Hey, I do think that will be the Super Bowl matchup, just based on how things are going out. But I don't know. I'm I'm a little bought in on the 49ers are just too good. It feels really like this good. is their year. Yeah. Nah. My daughter Katie is a, a Ravens fan through and through, so we're kind of a Ravens household. That's the only real emotional investment we have in the NFL is her um, investment in the Ravens. So I'm by proxy kind of a Ravens fan. So I'm rooting for them. And by the way, the, there, there were times where the Ravens knocked the Patriots out of the playoffs, which I was always very thankful for. <laughs> but Good there's job. also Lee Evans dropping the pass in the end zone. I know. That one hurt me. I'll never forgive him for that one. God, that one made me so mad. Uh, take it or leave it. The best coaches in the NFL in order. Shanahan, Reed, Harbaugh, McVay, Tomlin. Shanahan, Reed, Harbaugh. Why is McVay on that list? Because... He's, he, was a, he was a guru. He won a championship. His team's still probably going to really be a playoff team this year. Be seven and seven this year. Yeah, they should they be probably, worse. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I legitimately I think that's. To say it. Yeah, he's done a good job of coaching them up this year. Well, he's not going to put Mike McDaniel on the list. Yeah. That should be. That's probably the one omission in that uh, top l- five. L- l- run that list out again. Do you have it right in front uh, of you? Yeah, Shanahan. Because these guys all Shanahan, Reed, Harbaugh, McVay, Tomlin. I would put, I would switch, I would take McVay out and put, um, do, we're just talking this year, or are we talking? I'd take overall. Overall? Yeah, because McVay's, okay. I, I hate it, but right. McVay has won a Super Bowl. Uh, He's coached a team to a two. Coached a team to two. Here's my thing, though. Payton, though. That's thing, a, I was just about to say, he, Sean he, Payton, he, McVay, I mean, is, is, is it really that big of a difference between those yeah. guys? What did Payton do with Drew Brees? Won a Super Bowl. In, what, 20 years? 06 he to like there. you went to 20, one, yeah, 15 to years, one one. yeah, 15 years, you're right. Yeah. Did they did they do enough with a, a Hall of Fame quarterback? Mm. Ah. That's a very good question. I like that. You like that question? I, I do. You can ponder it. Okay. I, <laughs> uh, McVay just, I don't know, maybe it's just him. I don't know. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I hate it. I I, I hate the I idea. Somebody he's a said great Pete Carroll. Why, why isn't he on the list? I think he's kind of. No? They've taken a step or steps back here. Oh, there are still, still some really good coaches in the NFL. Uh, take it or leave it. Half of St. Louis, including me, has no idea who won the MLS Cup this year. Wait, has it been played? Oh, yeah. Uh, LAFC lost to the Columbus Crew. Good job. I was going to say, at least yeah. half the people in this room knew. Yep. So, technically, he's, sure I did. guess, maybe take it or maybe leave it. I'm not sure. You guys yeah. Take it. You guys didn't know, did I you? I saw that. No, we, yeah. we did. Okay, so I guess we have to take it then. Yeah. <laughs> we know. We're, we're, we're aficionados, as it were. I'm sorry. What was that? Uh, uh, we're soccer aficionados. Aficionados. Uh, yeah, you, we, we have an affection for MLS soccer. Yeah, we, uh, uh, do you have one more? We saw it. Uh, yeah, take it or leave it. There are a lot of relievers out on the market for the Cardinals to grab to make that can still make a big impact in 2024. I would oh, say yes. Yeah, I'm going to take that. Yeah, um, I'll take it's that. It's easy peasy. Second, so take it or leave it. Will they, will they pay the money for them? Oh, yes, take it. Oh, okay, they'll get take one. It. They have to. I mean, you don't def- you don't build the gray contract and then ship out another six million and just say yeah we're good. That's a great way to end the segment. Thank you. That is uh, Matthew, and that's Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Coming up, our fresh take. If the Cardinals are indeed done with transactions, where do they rank in the National League? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take.
6 in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Cardinals have had an offseason in which they have filled their stated needs. They said they needed three starting pitchers, and lo and behold, they went out and got Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and Sonny Gray. They also worked on their bullpen. They uh, weeded out some of their excess outfield depth by trading Tyler O'Neill. And so the question is... Have the Cardinals, with those moves, moved back into a spot where they can be reasonably expected to be a playoff team? Guys, I look at this team, and I like what the Cardinals have done in general, but we have to remember, this was a 71-win team last year. Uh, you have replaced Jordan Montgomery. Let's let's just assume that Jordan Montgomery was the best guy that the Cardinals got rid of among mm-hmm. their starting pitchers. Jordan Montgomery with Sonny Gray. You have replaced Jack Flaherty with Kyle Gibson, and you have replaced Adam Wainwright slash the people that pitched when he wasn't there with Lance Lynn. I would suggest that the the starting rotation is a little bit better. I don't think the bullpen minus Jordan Hicks is appreciably better, and I do think that if and this is a Kerry Davis uh, credo. I think if players play every day and have a role that the offense and the defense can be better rather than playing infielders in the outfield and outfielders in the infield and all all that stuff. And I do believe that Wilson Contreras hopefully will call a better game in 2024 than he did in 2023. But do I think the Cardinals are 20 wins better than 71? No, I think they're about 10 wins better, maybe 11 wins better than 71. So I don't think that they're, I, I, I don't think they're an upper level National League team. I think they're a mid-level National League team. I think that's what I was going to say as well. 70, uh, 10 games better than last year, which would put you right around 500. And um, does that win the division? Probably not. Probably still some work to do there. But uh, it it is an upgrade from what they had last year. There was Adam Wainwright was often injured. Jack Flaherty dealt with some injuries. Um, Montgomery pitch performed well, but he had some moments where it wasn't as great as it could have been or should have been. So those are upgrades, but again, as you talked about the bullpen, I think losing Hennessy Cabrera was a Big. was a huge thing. He, he, for whatever reason, he just they they wouldn't let him be him, and he had to go elsewhere. And he performed really well elsewhere. You talked about Jordan Hicks, like those are guys that that gave you more depth. And so this bullpen is going to be looking for some pitchers, for some arms that can. You know, have some that has talent, but also has some some longevity and understands how to play and, and are mature in this game and can help these younger guys out. When we had somebody text in from the six one to eight, has anybody else in the central made any moves? And as of right now, it's still been pretty stagnant. I thought this was kind of surprising. As of December seventeenth, this is the free agent spending this winter so far by team. Dodgers seven hundred and seventeen million. Phillies one hundred and seventy two million. What a drop off that is when you're talking <laughs> yeah. about offseason spending. Diamondbacks one hundred and twenty two million. Giants one hundred and thirteen million. And then you have the Royals, 105 million, and right after that, the Cardinals, right at 99 million. So there haven't been many moves. You haven't seen the Cubs do anything that splashy yet. But then again, it feels like now we have Shohei Otani out of the way. Teams are waiting to figure out what's happening with Yoshi Yamamoto, and then maybe that will get things moving a little bit more. The Cardinals still have time to go sign some relievers, and that's what feels like is missing. Is a couple other moves. I had Benji Molina on our show, which is on YouTube right now on the one on 
one on sports. And I asked him about what he thinks about the offseason moves so far. He says what he likes is the veteran presence, but he does still feel like there's some things missing for the Cardinals. Obviously, obviously, everybody's expectation is to win the division first and then move on to the playoffs and give us a chance to win. But since the bullpen is, is not, you know, we haven't signed a couple of guys in the bullpen that can help us or, or maybe an outfielder with power, somebody to come in and, and have 80 plus RBIs, 20 plus homer, somebody like that that you can put in the middle of the nine up with these two guns or three guns that we have, and now four because Gorman, Contreras, and then Arenado and Goldie. Yeah. Those four are beasts. And you add up somebody like J.D. Um, JD Martinez, and then you add up somebody like Eddie Rosario. He's a good outfielder, over 20 home runs. So he's a clutch guy, and he's a gold glove guy out there. So there, there's options out there. So uh, until I see something like that, then I'll, I'll reserve my thing. Obviously, my expectation is to win the, the division. And so I think that's really interesting because we've talked about adding, he thinks, what we've been talking about. Okay, if this is the starting rotation, that's fine. you got to go add at least one or two relievers. But what about the outfield? You really do have to hope that those guys will be able to step it up. He mentioned the 20 home runs. The closest was Jordan Walker with 16 home runs last season. And that's and he didn't play the entire season, the full season. So And Lars dealt with injuries. Yeah. Tommy Edmond was an infielder slash outfielder. Dylan Carlson was injured. Um, Tyler O'Neill is no longer here. And so I, I think Jordan Walker is a 22 to 28 home I run agree. hitter, 275. I think that's what he's – I think he's going to be a really good player for a really long time. I think the question is, what do you get from Lars Newbar? Is he going to be able to stay healthy? And will he produce at the level that you need him to produce at? And then Tommy Edmond, you know, you're, you, you got a center fielder who's going to cover a lot of ground but maybe not the strongest arm and maybe not the best bat. So, you know, with those three guys, you're looking at 45 home runs maybe Mm -hmm. between the three of them. Is that enough power from the outfield? Maybe maybe if you get to 50 home runs, I don't know. Um, Because I'm thinking Tommy is probably 5 to 10. Newt Bar is uh, about 20, uh, 25. 20, yeah. and, and, and then you have Jordan Walker with 20 to 28 to 30, maybe. So yeah. what you're going to have to 50 do, to 60. you're going to have to get great production out of your DH position. And you're going to you're going to have Tommy. Tommy Edmonds basically going to take the position that a pitcher used to take. All right. Tommy Edmonds yeah. is terrific, but he is not going to be a power hitter. And so what you're going to need is Brendan Donovan to be healthy and hitting for the kind of power that he showed early last season. If Donovan could all of a sudden turn into a 20 home run guy, that'd be great. Now, hear me out here. Work with me on this. You don't need home runs if you get your bat on the ball and manufacture runs. Okay? You play defense, you show the ability to manufacture runs, and you don't strike out a lot. I know that it's a home run game, and I know people are enamored of the home run. But it's a hard home, hard ballpark to hit home runs in, and you have all this athleticism. Why not take advantage of the athleticism, mm-hmm. right? And oh, by the way, I could see Mason Wynn being a fifteen home run guy too. He, he hit eighteen last year at Memphis, yeah. so he could be that guy. But I'm not looking necessarily at home runs. I'm looking at the ability to hit doubles, get your bat on the ball, get on base, swing the bat, drive people in. Don't go up to the plate with the idea that oh, I'm going to take a walk. You know, try to drive her on home. You know, Albert Pujols did pretty well with the philosophy of my whole philosophy offensively is to score runs and drive them in. So 
let's try driving some in sometime. Let's get our numbers two, three, four, five hitters to actually swing the bat rather than try to take a walk first and foremost. And that's what Benji was talking about. Outside of the home runs, you still need from your outfield more production offensively, mm-hmm. which we saw drop off because then things start to fall through the cracks, right? Because yeah. you do need some more power from your outfield. You do need some more things offensively from your outfield. And it felt like we didn't see that as much last season. Definitely the injuries were a huge factor into that. But I thought that was an interesting point that he made, that outside the relievers, there could be some other things that need to happen for the Cardinals to at least be in this conversation when you're saying, okay, at least middle of the pack or higher. There's some other things that they need to work on, too. And to your point, Randy, I've heard Albert Pujols talk about hitting the ball. I've heard Alex Rodriguez talk about hitting the ball. Those guys have a lot of home runs between the two of them. They don't talk about launch angle. They just Mm -mm. talk about driving the ball. Right. I think I think I would listen to them. I, I, no, I, I would be inclined. Crazy concept. <laughs> yep. they, they might know a thing or two. I don't know. They probably hit more home runs than anybody that's telling you yep. what to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> By the way, if you haven't heard, the Cardinals' new Major League Coordinator of Technology and Systems is D.C. McClee. Uh, he's going to be on the staff this year, Daniel D.C. McClee. And uh, you've got Turner Ward and Brandon Allen as your hitting coaches. Uh, this year, so that's going to be cool. You got Packy Elkins back as your game day planning coach, uh, and then Stubby and Pop Warner and Willie McGee and Jamie Pogue and Kleininger Turan. So your your co- coaching staff has the additions of Daniel Descalso as the new bench coach, Dean Keekeffer as the assistant pitching coach, and DC McClee as their major league coordinator of technology and systems. So some new voices for the Cardinals among the coaching staff for 2024. That's Brooke. That's Carrie. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to talk some blue. Hockey with our buddy John Kelly, TV voice of the Blues, next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. The Blues are in Tampa tonight to take on the Lightning. And the inaugural voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning will be in the building. But he's not broadcasting for Tampa. He's the voice of your St. Louis Blues. I'm Bally Sports. It's John Kelly who joins us every Tuesday morning here on the opening drive. J.K., good morning. How are you doing? Now, how did you know that, Randy? I think we were working together when you departed. <laughs> yes, right. You have a good memory, my yeah, friend. <laughs> I, I want, for those that aren't aware of it, I want you to describe the scene for Tampa home games in that first year. Well, they played at a place called Expo Hall. It was on the grounds of the Florida State Fairgrounds. Um, it was a building that seated about 10,000, and they normally had um, shows you know, for the fair in there, you know, livestock shows and things like that. So they had to put some money into the building. Um, but it certainly wasn't, uh, quite honestly, an NHL-caliber rink. Um, literally during the fair, they had, I think they had a game during the, the state fair, and um, the players' uh, locker room, um, uh, the door opened up into the, into the outside, and, the, and they were selling corn dogs and cotton candy right outside the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> oh and, and the players would go back there between periods. And, you know, I don't know if they had a corn dog or what, but... It was a uh, surreal um, experience, to say the least. Uh, but, you know, then they went to the Dome, Randy, which was even as crazy where they play baseball now. 
Um, and, and they've been here at Emily Arena now for, you know, you know, since probably, you know, 99 or so, um, which is a great venue. But uh, the early stages uh, featured a couple of unique venues, no question. Wow, that is uh, incredible. Well, of course, we have to ask you about this. This is a very, very small sample size, just two games since we've had the coaching change. What have you noticed from Drew Bannister? Well, I think that the biggest thing that I've noticed is the players are playing um, more on their toes. And, you know, especially in the neutral zone, uh, you know, players like Krug and Falk and really the whole defensive group, um, a guy like Tucker, I've noticed, has played with more confidence. So, you know, I think you get that with, with a coaching change that um, every player, um, sort of like when you have a new teacher, you want to impress the teacher, and that's what they're doing right now. But I think the biggest thing that I've seen is they're playing on their toes and, and their play in the neutral zone has been really good. And when they're breaking plays up like they did the other night in the second and third period against Dallas, um, they're attacking and scoring goals off the rush. And, and this team is is a much better team than I think people expect or think off the rush. And they can score off the rush, as we saw the other night, uh, you know, especially a guy like Jordan Cairo. So, um, obviously, it's a short sample size. Drew Bannister, by the way, the second-ever drafted player by Tampa Bay back in 1992. Um, he comes home tonight, um, obviously, as a head coach for the first time here in Tampa Bay. You talk about playing on their toes and, and I guess being more aggressive. Is that solely because of something Drew Bannister has implemented or is that just the the understanding of the firing of Craig Berube and what's expected now? Yeah, I think it's the latter, um, Kerry. And, you know, I think it's obviously expected that that would happen. Um, you know, Braden Shen talked about it the other day um, before the game against Dallas. And, you know, he was asked what Bannister wants. And, you know, he said, you know, you know play aggressively, play north or check, skate, and he said it's really what Chief wanted, but it's a different message. So, I mean, most coaches preach the same thing, quite honestly, um, and it is. It's a different message, and, uh, you know, you could argue that the message from Barubi got stale after six years like any coach. I'm not saying he wasn't a great coach. It is a great coach, um, but you, you can see how, how the same message with a different voice could have an effect, and if you look at some of the coaching changes that have been made this season um, in Minnesota and Edmonton, um, both of those teams have played very well. And, of course, Ottawa fired its coach yesterday. So, unfortunately, in, in the game of hockey and most sports, you can't, you can't fire or trade 23 players. And, unfortunately, the coach uh, a lot of times is a scapegoat. J.K., I find it really interesting in, in hockey, and it doesn't seem to apply in other sports, and maybe it's because of the length of the season, but for whatever reason, most coaches, 99% of them, do ultimately lose the ear of their players, and for whatever reason, John Cooper hasn't in Tampa. And yesterday, Craig Bruby was on the show and talked about how leadership is a big part of that. And I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. But Cooper's had pretty much the same leadership group in place. Maybe that's the reason that he's been able to keep the ear of all of those players is because people like Stamkos and Hedman have been around for such a long time. And they buy into what he's saying and they, it goes to the other players. Yeah, I agree, and, and that's a big reason why the Blues had the success they had for many years, including their Stanley Cup year, is the leadership group was so so good on and off the ice. And you're right. I mean, players like Kucherov and Point and, and Hedman and, and, and guys like that and Stamkos, the captain, um, have been elite players. I think the other thing, Randy, is that they've had success, right? Um, you know, when you win back-to-back Cups and then you lose in the final – so three straight years to the Stanley Cup final, you know, you're having a lot of success. So even though some players might not love John Cooper, 
Um, some love them, some don't. It, you know, it doesn't really matter. If the team's having success and the leadership buys in, then the rest of the group is going to follow. So I think those are the two things to me. I think the coach, Coach Berube, is right. Um, when, when the top guys um, buy in and you have success, it's a pretty good combination to have. And by the way, same thing in Boston, and I know that they've turned over, but part of the reason that they're for success, I'm sure, is because Bergeron and Marchand and, and that group have been together for such a long time, and there's a, a culture. There's a, an inherent culture of having those winning players on your team. Yeah, and, and the Blues have had that. You know, it really started, Randy, if you go back in time, it started back in, you know, say, 09 when the Blues made that miracle run for the playoffs with Andy Murray as, as the head coach. And, you know, they had, you know, the captain at the time was David Backus. And then um, as they moved on from Andy Murray, Hitch came in and, and they started to acquire most of the players that were part of the Stanley Cup team, um, Parekos and, and, you know, Bo Meester and, you know, the guys up front. So they had great culture and great players for a number of years, and they still have a number of them, obviously. And that's the key for the Blues right now is sort of in this transition is, you know, players like like the captain, Braden Shen, Pareko and Letty, the older guys, Falk, they've got to pass the torch on and they've got to teach these young guys what it means to be prepared and ready to play and things like that. So the culture doesn't doesn't diminish at all. And that's the key, um, I think, to, to getting through any kind of transition um, is to have it passed on on to others. Recently, in these past two games, what's the biggest difference that you've seen in Jordan Cairo's game? Well, I do think that you know, in the first game when he was booed, he 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 did you know he did look a little nervous, and he admitted that it was the hardest game um, that he's played. And the last game, Dallas was maybe his best game of the season. Uh, he also had a great game against Montreal this year, when I think he had nine shots on goal as well. So you know, the biggest thing to me is. He skates with confidence, and he uses his outside speed. And you know, had had a great goal, the breakaway goal, um, set up the game winner from Preco using his speed. So when he does that, he's really hard to contain. I think it's pretty obvious. And you know, he's he's um, he can't be careless with the puck. And you know, that's the one thing that that Jordan still at times um, reverts to is he's he's careless with the puck. He's a young player. Um, I talked to Joey Vitale about that. He's, he's probably said this on your show, but. When a young player is in junior hockey and he's a dominant player, he always has the puck. He doesn't have to worry about getting the puck back. And you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, it's an evolution for Jordan. It's a learning process. He's, he's improved greatly, I think, in the last couple of years. Um, but at times he still is careless with the puck. So I think the biggest thing for him is to use his speed and, and to be very careful when he does have the puck and not get away. John Kelly, enjoy these two games and several days in Florida. And then Merry Christmas to you and your family. Have a, a wonderful holiday season, and we will talk to you next week. Okay, thanks for having me, and Merry Christmas to you guys, and happy holidays to all of your great listeners on 101. Thank you, J.K. That is John Kelly, the TV voice of the Blues on Bally Sports here on 101 ESPN. Great guy. John, John has a, a great family. His son, Patrick, actually used to work here for a while. Yeah. And his, uh, uh, his brother, Dan, another former voice of the Blues. So great. The Kelly family are St. Louis icons. They're great people. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming up, uh, we've got the fight. Do we, do we got a fighter coming back, Matthew? Or do we need a new uh, one? I don't you You emptied so. out the whole, yeah, all of them yesterday. 
You just let them all go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about that. CD. St. Louis, talking trash, is, is even sarcastically, usually a good way to go in the fight. <laughs> usually goes well. Okay. Uh, we do need a fighter then. So you can text in your name to our text line, your name and the word fight to 314-399-9646, 314-399-YOHO. We want to hear from you, and maybe Matthew will pick you to be our fighter next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome back to the Opening Drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Brooke Grimsley, and it is time for the fight, and our fighter today is Michael. Michael, how you doing? Doing fantastic. How are you guys? Doing well. Are you ready to take on Randy Carricker? As ready as I'm going to be. All right, here we go. Which SEC powerhouse did Reggie White play for in college, is it Georgia, Alabama, or Tennessee? Let's go. I'm trying to think back here. Um, let's go Alabama. Late in the 1982 regular season, Cardinals catcher Glenn Bummer memorably stole to win a game in the 12th inning against which NL West team? Was it the Braves, the Astros, or the Giants? Excuse me. Uh, the Giants. On this day in 2010, Deshaun Jackson capped off a four-touchdown comeback win with a walk-off punt return against which team? Is it the Redskins, the Giants, or the Cowboys? I believe that was the Washington Redskins. Following his first eight years with only the Reds, Reggie Sanders would play for seven teams across his last nine years in Major League Baseball. Which team did he win a World Series with? Was it the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, or the Angels? Um, I don't know this for sure. Let's go, Let's go Marlins. All right, we'll double-check our score, and we'll bring in Randy Carricker. Michael, how you feel? I'm not great today. Not great? Okay, well, I mean, that happens. We all, it's not always a great day, but as long as you feel great, even though you didn't, may not have performed great, those are the things it'll, that It'll matter. be a great day either way. There you go. You get to talk to Randy Carrick. He's got his Merry Christmas, your filthy animal shirt on. Shout out to Kevin McAllister and the Home Alone team. Yeah. Randy, say hello to Michael. Nobody wants to sleep with Fuller. No, he, he pees the bed. <laughs> uh, say hello to Michael. Michael, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for playing and happy holidays. Absolutely. Happy holidays. All right, Randy, here we go. Okay. Which SEC powerhouse did Reggie White play his college football for? Hmm. Brooke? I don't know why you're looking at me. <laughs> I don't know anything. Uh, I, I think he played for old Rocky Top, Rocky Top, Tennessee. I think he was a volunteer. I, I have yeah. to stay silent or people in the text line will get mad at me. Rocky Is that the team with the checkerboard end zone? Yeah. Cool. I like it's beautiful. That I do like the end zone. I want to go to a Tennessee game. Oh, Neyland Stadium? Just don't wear your gear from the other team. Right? Uh, they like yeah. to fight? They like to drink and fight. <laughs> Well, I like to. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good old time. <laughs> Late in the 1982 regular season, Cardinals catcher Glenn Bummer memorably stole Glenn home. Bummer? Did you say Glenn Bummer? That's not his name. No, it's Glenn Brummer. No. I'm just reading. What, he, <laughs> oh, okay. You're right. 
That was a, a fan submitted question. I guess there was a typo on that one. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Thank you for you pointing Google that out. You did not correct me on that one when I, when I just Google that to double check his, his thing. Right. Have you but not noticed? <laughs> did you not notice that we are just reading scripts here? Like uh, we're Anchorman not, over here. Notice, yeah. um, probably Glenn Glenn Brummer, memorably. Glenn. Hello, Glenn. Sorry, Glenn, about that. Mm-hmm. Glenn Brummer, memorably, stole home to win a game in the 12th inning against which NL West team? Was it the Braves? Uh, that was the Giants. You don't need to give me options here. It was oh. the Giants. And, uh, yes, Mike Shannon with the iconic call. And the pitch was right down the middle. I think it was Gary Lavelle on the mound for the Giants. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was something. It was one of the more iconic plays in, uh, in Cardinal history. Brummer stealing home against the Giants. And there, the bad umpire, uh, I wish I could remember the umpire's name, was one of the worst umpires uh, called the it, was, it was strike three. Mm. He, was, he was stealing on, on a full count pitch. It was strike three, and the umpire never called the pitch. He just called Brummer safe rather that, than calling the hitter out. He forgot too much yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd have been livid. Yeah. Been so that livid. play just wouldn't happen nowadays. That would get reviewed, right? You can't review balls, balls and, strikes. and strikes. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't review balls and strikes. Right. That, that means he scored. Yeah. Game. The Cardinals win. Ball game. All right, Randy, you ready? I'm ready. On this day in 2010, Deshaun Jackson capped off a four-touchdown comeback win yeah. with a walk-off punt return against which team? I think it was against the Giants. I'm going to go with the Giants. <laughs> that, was, that was impressive. Uh, yeah, walk-off return for a touchdown. I think it might have been at the Meadowlands, too. I, 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 yeah. yeah, I remember. That was pretty impressive. Following his first eight years with only the Reds, Reggie Sanders would play for seven teams across his last nine years in Major League Baseball. Which team did he win a World Series with? Uh, was it the 2001 Diamondbacks? I think it might have been. Let's see. Um, he played for the Cardinals in 04 uh, and 05, but he wasn't here in 06, I don't think think he was was he on the 06 cardinals let me um or was he with the diamondbacks in 01 hold on let me think about the cardinals in in 06 this is bad but uh so you it was roland Eckstein, uh ronnie belliard and obviously albert with yachty behind the plate uh and then for the majority of that season obviously jim edmonds and you had Juan E. Uh, oh, no, it was a Chris Duncan year. So, and Chris wore 16, and so did Reggie. So it was not the Cardinals. It was, I believe, the Arizona Diamondbacks in 01. I'm going to go with final answer. But are you sure? No? Okay. Do you want me to do the lifeline? <laughs> no, I don't. No, no. Do, <laughs> I don't do, do you know you sure? Do you, you, know you don't want to run down all the teams? He never says final answer, so I just had to kind of no. double check it because you said final answer, so I didn't know if maybe you were vacillating between two things. He was hurt all the time. Reggie, by the way, did you know, I didn't. I wasn't aware of this, but he was at uh, Overnight Divine for Albert the other night. Albert says that Reggie Sanders is his all-time favorite teammate. That's awesome. There we go. Aww. Yeah, never crossed the hundred RBI mark because he was always injured. Mm-hmm. So, in today's fight, does Michael? Ta- I just, I just shot. These are things I, I <laughs> pick up when I'm, I'm reading stuff the night before. Just okay. Good player, Excuse good me. guy too. Really um, good guy. Loved Richard Sanders when I was a kid. So, Michael's trying to shut down a five 
or sorry, excuse me, six fight because you won Friday uh, before two weeks ago. A six fight streak right now for Randy Carricker. Michael's trying to shut it down. So was he able to take down Megamind on this Tuesday or does the streak continue? Ring that bell. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. I'm so sorry, Michael. The streak continues. Randy Carricker hits the jack on this one and beats you four to one. That's all right. I said no shot today on these questions. <laughs> my, apo- my apologies. the the text The text line is saying uh, I went to I went easy on Randy today, which I, I, I'm my bad. My bad. Uh, which SEC powered Reggie White play as college ball? It was in fact Tennessee. With that, I right. hate to admit it. That sweet checkerboard pattern. That? What do you think, Brooke? Pretty sweet checkerboard pattern, huh? Oh, it is gorgeous. There it is. Yes. Late in the nineteen in the nineteen eighty two regular season, Cardinals catcher Glenn Brummer. Excuse me for the uh, yeah, typo on can my. We get, can we please get my these fault sheets? There. Like Cardinals catcher Glenn. More than Brummer. just right before the show so oh, that I can... Oh, that was, that was, if you need me to review them, I'd bummer. be happy to. Or just maybe... Just good don't, question. Don't, don't type this. Good, the, good, type question, good question from, from the listener on that on that one. Slipped the R right by me. Catchers, Glenn Brummer memorably stole, stole home in a game to, in the 12th inning against which NL West team? It was, in fact, the San Francisco Giants. It always makes... A lot of sense to me why the Braves were in the West Division back then. On this day in 2010, Deshaun Jackson capped off a four-touchdown comeback for the Philadelphia Eagles. The miracle in the new meadow lands as he would walk it off against the New York Giants. And following his first eight years with only the Reds, Reggie Sanders would play for seven teams across his nine years in Major League Baseball. He was on the Royals in 2006, but he was on the Diamondbacks in 2001 when they won that World Series. So a 4-1 win for Randy Carricker in the fight today. Michael, thank you so much for joining the fight and joining the show today. Good time listening to you guys. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, it was Gary Lavella on the mound, and who was? And it was he? Dave. Pal- uh, we Dave had text Pallone. Dave yep. Pallone. Dave Pallone. Pallone. Yep. Not sure. Pallone. Yeah. Not he, a good bad umpire. He, uh, he, he. I saw. I googled him though, and I saw that he went on to umpire in like multiple World Series in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, that didn't mean he was good. I mean, Angel Hernandez umpired in a World Series. <laughs> oh. I just you know, Has you ever have you ever seen a worse umpire than Angel Hernandez? Mm. That CB Buckner guy is pretty bad. That uh, that Ollie ripped in spring training. He's oh yeah, bad. they are they're mortal enemies. Huh? Yeah, it's pretty good. They shook hands. They did. Uh, uh, I, I think don't think there's some debate there. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if he meant it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Brummer stealing home. Gary Lavelle was on the mound though. So and it was the Giants. That was a fun year. Eighty-two. Lonnie Smith had a great year. Stole sixty-eight bases. Keith Hernandez was sensational that year. Cardinals won twelve in a row early in the season. Is that your favorite Cardinals team? Uh. 85, I think I, I, 85, I covered. 82, I was on the field as an usher. It was totally memorable. It was awesome. But 85, I covered and got to know the guys. So uh, 85, I think, was probably my favorite one. 101 wins. And Whitey was supposed to be the first manager fired that year. And Vince comes up in the first week of the season. CD, you remember that. Vince coming up and Whitey says, you're only going to be here for two weeks. And then we're going to send you back down to, I think it was uh, Louisville at the time. Mm. And uh, Vince said, I'm not going back down there. <laughs> then he proceeded to steal 110 bases, team yeah. stole 314, won 101 games, and they were awesome. John Tudor starts one and seven, finishes 21 and eight. Good for them. Good. They were they were good, good. baseball. Yep, and then Don Denkinger. Uh, that, that one hasn't stuck with me, has it, kids? <laughs> By the way, how cool would it be if you're like, think about living in the Valley of the Sun? If your 
only championship. The Suns have never won. The Coyotes have never won. The Cardinals have never won. So, like, if you were at the game where the Diamondbacks won Game Seven against the Yankees in two thousand one, how cool would that be to be in your city at your city's only championship win ever? Be pretty cool. Because uh, we're lucky here. I, I was at the Super Bowl win. I was at. I wasn't at the Stanley Cup, but we got to experience it. I've been at multiple World Series wins. Mm-hmm. So never get to see the steamers win at all, unfortunately. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, NFL News and Notes are coming your way next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All right, time for some NFL News and Notes here on 101 ESPN. Aaron Rodgers will be cleared to play by the New York Football Jets, but will he play is the question. First of all, would, let's answer the question, would it be smart for him to try to play? And he's not going to, but it wouldn't be smart either. And I think he is, even though he's kind of weird, I don't think he's dumb. <laughs> he is weird. I won't say, well, I don't like want to say weird. He's, yeah, he's different. Weird. You know, I, I try not to be rude or disrespectful to people's, other people's opinions and options. Some people do have dumb ideas, but I, I digress. He is, uh, he is different. <laughs> And so this would be a different decision. I don't think that playing football after tearing your Achilles for a team that's not going to make the playoffs makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I think you should sit down, enjoy whatever, who, whomever they decide to put out there because Zach Wilson was in concussion protocol, but then he was hurt. With mm-hmm. It was weird. Who knows? He's probably just ready. One, two, three, Cancun. They're ready to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One, two, three, Cancun. <laughs> trying oh, to get. It. Have you ever had that breakdown? I have not, thankfully. <laughs> when I was in college, I couldn't afford to go to Cancun. But if I could, I definitely would have said it my senior year. Hey, bring it up, fellas. We we not going to no bowl game. Uh, but, yeah, I think that Aaron Rodgers playing football this year would be foolish on his behalf. Um, and, it's, it's, again, it's a team that's going nowhere. They have nothing to play for. You know, Robert Sala probably wants him to play mm-hmm. to save his job. But at the end of the day, as a player, you have to take care of your own body and take care of your own your, your own responsibility. So I don't think it would make sense for him to play. I would hope that the coaching staff wouldn't want him to play. That seems like that would be malpractice in itself because then if you're worrying about what the future will look like mm-hmm. with Aaron Rodgers and keeping him healthy, you know that you have to sacrifice the rest of the season to do so. Yeah, yeah, but if you're Robert Sala and you are looking at a record of five and nine and potentially what five and twelve, as opposed to seven and nine, seven and nine looks better if yeah. you have Aaron Rodgers playing, or eight and nine looks better if you have Aaron Rodgers playing, as opposed to what you could be or what you what you probably will be. Now the front office probably like, hey, <laughs> no, we, we we know we're not going to the playoffs. Let's get this higher draft pick. But Robert Sala is trying to save his job. Or yeah, Mo yeah. Sala, as we like to call him here. Mo so, Sala. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mo Car- of Sala. Yeah. Carrie's guy, uh, Tommy DeVito, running. Hey. Yeah. So uh, he he worked out a deal because he's a star now. And he and his agent worked <laughs> out a deal with Consiglio's Old Fashioned Pizza in New Jersey. And they said that, okay, yeah, the Consiglio said, we'll give you 10 grand to come on over and make an appearance at Consiglio's. And Tommy said, great. Tommy and his agent said, great. Then Tommy led the Giants to a comeback win over the Packers on Monday Night Football. And the price went from ten to $20,000. And Consiglio's Pizza not too happy with Tommy DeVito and his agent oh. because he's not a man of his word. Oh, Tommy trying to get an extra 10 G's there, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> hey, that's, that's called doing business. That's just business. <laughs> yeah. 
According to an Instagram post by Consignos, agent Sean Stellato raised the appearance fee after DeVito led the comeback victory over the Packers. The Morristown, New Jersey-based restaurant posted the cancellation Sunday after DeVito struggled in the Giants' 24-6 loss to the Saints. Bad business. You gotta you as a young player, you you know you want to strike while the iron is hot, obviously, but do good business, man. I, I you know man, ten G's if you're if you're an NFL player, you know making even if he's making minimum salary, he's gonna he's okay. We once had a rookie quarterback here in St. Louis that we wanted to do a weekly segment with that wanted fifty grand just to do a weekly segment sixteen for the times entire year for the entire year fifty grand 50 to do a weekly grand. segment wow. to, yeah for to do sixteen Man, I got, ten minute I got cheated in Pittsburgh I was doing a weekly hit I don't think I was making. Oh. The guy didn't get the fifty grand. He wanted the fifty grand. He, he wanted it. No, this. this and you know what? He, he had a lot of money in the bank already, so he didn't really need the fifty grand. I mean, he had fifty mil. Yeah, no names. Fifty grand. What is he? What is? What is? What is this guy doing? He had a couple ACL injuries. Yeah. Yeah. I think a good rule of thumb when you have 15 minutes of fame is to not forget where you came from. Yeah. Right. But if you saw Devito's agent, are you guys surprised that he'd be wheeling and dealing? Yeah. No. The way that he's dressing up. supposed to me, Brooke. Now, it's okay to, sometimes when you hear things that back up what you may have already thought, you, uh, some people can say some things Look like, at this I, outfit I he wore that. the other day. But then you hear well some dressed. things and you're like, yeah, I could see that. That is, a, they, that is an Italian Hall of Famer, Italian-American Hall of Famer right there. All right, let's watch it. Right. He, did, he, did he make him an offer he couldn't refuse at the PC? Hey, game? now. <laughs> so, uh, after, after the game on Sunday, Consiglio's put on their Instagram post, sorry about that loss today, Giants fans, but we're Italian too and don't like it when someone says one thing and does another. Yes. It's not good. Ooh. They should just put Jets so. stuff all over the place. Oh, man. Uh. That's bad. Yeah, it is. Well, they've got a photo up on their Instagram page of them when they had an an appearance by Eli Manning, who had no problem showing up for his agreed-to price. $10,000. I'm sure it wasn't 10 for him. Probably not. Oh, Eli was getting more than that, surely. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And please don't call me Shirley. (laughs) (laughs) And please don't call me Shirley. (laughs) I love love that movie. Very well. Very well done. Uh, uh, what else do we got? Uh, let's see. Oh, the chances the Bears don't use one of their uh, top picks on a quarterback. It's at 7% right now. Are they good? Are they taking Caleb Williams? They have to. I would, I was, it was one of the wide receivers came out and said, Justin Fields has been playing DJ really Moore. well. DJ yeah. Moore, he said, we, you know, our, our chemistry is really improving. But, I mean, you have the two top picks. You have this, this draft. You're not going into next year without with Justin Fields at 100% the quarterback. You can't. I am. If I'm the Bears, I'm changing the GM, I'm changing the coach, I'm trading the first overall pick, I'm going to get more draft capital, I'm going to have three picks in that first round and maybe one, uh, two for next year. I'm going to get one for next year, and and I'm going to make sure that I have enough because it doesn't matter what quarterback you bring in if you don't have the pieces around them. This is a franchise that for decades, who was the all-time leading passer? Is it Sid Luckman today? No, Jay Cutler. Oh, Jake. Is it Jay Cutler? <laughs> Sid Luckman is right number two. He's number two. Yeah. Don't forget about Vandy legend Jay Cutler. Of the Chicago Bears. <laughs> I mean, this is a an organization that has struggled mightily at that position and and at football really for a long time. So you need more. You need more players. You need more people that can help out. Justin Fields is still a young player. He's going to be. Do for some money here shortly, but you don't have to pay him an uh, an extreme amount of money. 
he's a good player. Get him a good offensive coordinator. Yes. Get him a good surrounding cast and allow him to be as great as he can be, and the Bears will be better off for it. If you start this process over again, you will be looking for a new head coach in three years, mm-hmm. and you will be saying Caleb Williams is terrible. There you go. So it's got to be Jim Harbaugh then. I'm just looking. Arizona has two first-rounders. Are they going to move on from Kyler Murray? Would they give up their two first-rounders to to get Caleb Williams if they don't wind up with the number one pick themselves? They, they also have Houston's first-round pick. Uh, you mentioned that you want to get multiple first-rounders this year. The Bears are one of the teams that already has two first-round picks this year, uh, along with the Cardinals. And I don't know if anybody else does at the moment. And obviously, that can change. Draft capital changes hands all the time. And maybe, if you're the Bears, you also get draft capital. Maybe somebody would trade for Justin Fields. I don't think they're going to trade for Justin Fields. No, you're not going to think to trade. No, no. No, that, that's not but no, like, that not that won't happen. A, a fourth rounder? Eh, I don't think so. Hmm. I, I wouldn't trade Justin Fields for a fourth rounder. So you just keep. I'm keeping. Oh, you're, him. you're keeping him I'm and building around him. Keeping him and building around him, mm-hmm. and getting a new coach, new offensive coordinator, and trying to figure out. The young man has talent. He, he has a skill set. Yep. You don't just throw a talent. We talk about how many quarterbacks have played this year. Why do, why do think? Why do people think that it's just snap up your fingers and you find an elite quarterback to to take over I your franchise? Get a, That's get a, what it feels get like. Get a tackle. Right? Go go get. You know what? Spend both of those picks uh, in, in the first round on offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Get yourself better, man. Yep. I think the Jim Harbaugh stuff is still interesting because there is reportedly discussions that he is looking at an extension with Michigan, but nothing is finalized yet. So. If that's not getting finalized, then it seems like he'll be on the move, right? Yeah, and the he somebody was saying that he just loves. Somebody told us on our air that he loves Justin Herbert, and he also obviously has the background in Chicago, and he he plays Bear football. I mean, that's what he coaches. So I think both of those would be great spots for him. Uh, that's NFL news and notes on 101 ESPN. Coming up, our rush hour reset. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're recapping the biggest sports stories of the day on the Opening Drive with a Rush Hour Reset. in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Brooke Grimsley and Super Bowl champ Gary Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. Matthew Rocchio is producing and engineering for us today. Blues in action tonight. 5 o'clock pregame. Short, fast lane. Blues at Lightning. 5 o'clock with the pregame with Alex Ferrario and Joe Vitale. And then 6 o'clock with the faceoff. Same on Thursday night when the Blues are at Miami. Well, sunrise to take on the defending Eastern Conference champion, Florida Panthers. I almost said Miami Panthers, but it's Matthew Kachuk and the Florida Panthers. Mm. They're pretty good, huh? Yeah, they are. Yeah, they got good, season good players. Year. Yep. One of them should have been here, maybe. Uh-huh. Okay. Maybe <laughs> not. I don't know. <laughs> it would have been nice. It would have been nice to see. Yep. It would have been real nice. And Drew Bannister trying to stay, or Stanley Tucci, whichever way you want to call him, trying to stay undefeated as a head coach of the Blues. I wonder if an NFL, NHL coach has ever gone undefeated. Does he? Oh, that's a very good question. I don't, I don't think so. Doubt it. Um, <laughs> does he... Work his way into being the long-term coach. Is he? Could. Does the interim tag get taken off and he becomes 
the the coach, the head coach of yeah. of, the, of your St. Louis Blues, depending on how well this team performs with him? I think it might come down to how well Jordan Cairo performs. Might That's what that I was saying earlier, is that it feels like Jordan Cairo could be job security. Yeah, because that's one of the biggest points. That's something that Army has talked about. That's something he talked about with the Craig Brewery firing is that they want to now, when they're moving forward, get the most out of Jordan Cairo. So that seems to be the key to success. And if you guys haven't noticed lately, and just from a media standpoint, honestly, this is from what I've observed, this feels like the most that I've seen Jordan Cairo kind of talk in a while, which Mm -hmm. I know that he had the huge issue go on and he had to go and clarify his comments, but he's been a lot more media-facing that we've seen, I feel like, this entire season, Clearly right? he hasn't done a lot because he doesn't know you can't say the F word over FCC-sanctioned oh. electronic media. Yeah. Yeah, that was something, huh? Yeah. He was he was fired up, Randy. He, That's I, what I, he was saying. He was, he was glad he was fired, fired up. Eager. But yeah. it does feel like unlocking Jordan Cairo and getting him to reach his full potential, full potential, what's expected of him of this big contract could lead to job security. Meanwhile, last night, Monday Night Football, Mizzou's Drew Locke reading, leading a 10-play, 92-yard drive in a minute 24, 29-yard uh, touchdown pass to Jackson Smith and Jigba with 28 seconds left, and Seattle snaps a four-game losing streak and hands the Eagles their third straight loss, 20 to 17. All that work we did to try to get Dallas uh, from winning the division, and now all of a sudden Philadelphia is messing it up. <laughs> They are they're struggling a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of scuffling. They've played some really good teams here in the last couple of weeks, and then you got to go on a long road trip to uh, Seattle. You lose to Dallas. You lose to San Francisco. Those are really good teams. Um, and, and, you, and your quarterback was not all the way healthy. So, I, again, I'm not too concerned about the Philadelphia Eagles. I hope they don't feel like they have a switch that they can turn on because they don't. They haven't had it all season long. At some point, you, you would assume that things get, you know, going in the right direction. But I think you also can see how important losing your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are. I mean, you, yep. you look at the Kansas City Chiefs. They lost Eric Bieniemy. They haven't been uh, going in the same direction as they have in the past few years. So the importance of those coordinators and, and kind of finding the, the, the momentum that you need to find going into the playoffs is going to be important for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. And what a story with Drew Locke and the Seahawks. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about earlier whether or not Drew Locke got a fair chance with the Broncos. That was a mess that he walked into. I think it's fa- fair to say. Do you guys feel like he got, he was in the best position to succeed with the Denver Broncos? Oh, no, no, no. Exactly, yes. So for him to get this second shot, it was a great moment, and he was just very charismatic in his post-game comments. And he was like that at Mizzou, too. He mm-hmm. has a great personality. Did you guys also see where he did the, his securing the bag celebration yeah. he did while he was at Mizzou? Yeah. That was just a was really great. great moment for him. Yeah. So good luck to him. And uh, Mizzou expected, I don't know, if, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure they expect, to land Caden Green, offensive tackle from Oklahoma. He went to Lee's Summit North, and he went into the transfer, transfer portal with Oklahoma and expected to... Uh, Land with M-I-Z-Z-O-U later today. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. Anything official there yet, Matthew? I I, I had heard last yeah, the night sound. that it was going to be uh, <laughs> it was going to happen today. Breaking and news. so hopefully uh, we'll well maybe we'll get that word within the next hour. Or so it can never hurt you to land a former five star offensive tackle six six three sixteen started every game for Oklahoma this past season. 
So it feels like that game that with Mizzou and Oklahoma this coming season will be even more. I don't know. Oh, there will be, be a lot fun. of tension, right? Because yeah. there's been so much back and forth, at least from what I've seen on social media. We know about past rivalry, but still on social media here recently, because you've had the transfers. It seems like there's been a lot between Mizzou and Oklahoma when it comes to getting in recruits and even via the transfer portal. Yeah. By the way, are you guys at all surprised? And I know that Eli Drinkwitz told his players, look, I don't mind if you enter, if you enter the transfer portal. It's there for you. I would like you to participate in the bowl game with us. He told all of his players that. You guys surprised that Sam Horner hasn't entered the transfer portal? Mm. Um, No. I mean, you, you probably look at, what, one more year of sitting on the bench mm-hmm. and, and being able to play uh, the following year. So I don't always think – and he's a baseball he's player baseball as well. Player so too. That was really, the one place that would allow him to play both. There's really no need to transfer if, if the other sport that you play you're really good at or, or maybe even better at. Um, and if you want to play both sports and they're allowing you to do that, it, oh, <laughs> hopping in the transfer portal would be bad business for you. Yeah. yeah. The, the baseball situation, I mean – Maybe that works out for him, too. I am I am a little surprised that he wouldn't at least try it. seems like we're just so used to players just quickly mm-hmm. entering the transfer portal. But I think that's huge on Mizzou to be able to continue to retain that talent. Yeah, and I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Kyler Murray played both baseball and football at Oklahoma. Yeah. He was a first-round draft choice in both sports, so I think he had to play in both. I think that's um, why he left Texas A&M. We mm-hmm. just got a screenshot from the 314, and I double-checked it on Twitter. Yes, uh, Eli Drinkwitz just tweeted out a green heart. And hashtag M-I-Z at 9.09 a.m. What's that mean? Well, Caden Green. <gasps> oh. Oh. Remember, is he like Taylor remember, Swift well, where no, he drops well, Easter when, eggs? That's, that's what Sonny did when he recently went to Blues. He just <laughs> he just posted a blue and he just posted a blue heart and then logged off Twitter. Goodbye. Same thing. So Green See, Heart, Caden Green. That's what Green. Taylor Swift is known for is that she drops little Easter eggs in her music <laughs> videos and Flip interviews and stuff awesome. like that. And that's what Eli Drinkwitz does. Have he, you noticed he, that? Flip. No. I, I, I am a person. That doesn't pick up on hints very well. Me either. Like I, I am a person that if you want me to understand something, you should put it with neon blinking lights in big bold letters so I can see. It. Yeah. Tell me what it is. Don't Carrie, give me a hint. I, I'll uh, walk right past that I'm with thing. You. I, I prefer. I prefer the obvious. I prefer the obvious. Obvious. On March 18, 1995, the following statement was released today by Michael Jordan through his personal attorney and business manager, David B. Falk, chairman of Falk Associates Management Enterprises, Inc., fame, located in Washington, D.C., in response to questions about his future career plans. I'm back. <laughs> That's all you need. You need. Clear. Big letters. <laughs> Front page. I'm back with a picture of his back. I remember it. Like that's all I need. Give me, give tell Obvious. me what it is. Don't yeah. lead me to assume. No, don't. That'd make a that'd make a dumb assumption if you do that. All right. That's true. <laughs> that is our rush hour reset on 101 ESPN. Coming up. We're going to explore a little bit further what we should take out of the fact that Mizzou hasn't lost a starter or a prize recruit to the transfer portal. What's that say about the culture that Eli Drinkwitz is building at Mizzou? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We mentioned in the last segment that it's interesting, at least to me, that Mizzou has not lost what we would perceive as a key player to the transfer portal yet. Now, 
This is said with the knowledge that Eli Drinkwitz wants his players to experience the entire season with the team. And he said, hey, go into the transfer portal, but don't miss out on a chance to go to a bowl game with us because you worked so hard at it. So there's a very good possibility, I would think, that there will be key players that will leave Mizzou. But over the course of the last couple of years, Mizzou lost Dominic Lovett to Georgia. But otherwise, they really have not had big losses in the transfer portal, and they've had big gains NIL has everything to do with why players leave and why players stay and why players go. But could there be anything beyond that? Could the culture and the fun that players are having, Kerry, at the University of Missouri lead to them wanting to stick around? I think it's I think it's a great idea. It's a great notion to not uh, have those kids leave, to not, you know, to not to keep them there and, and, and not miss out on the opportunity. But I also think if that's what they're doing, you may be doing them a disservice because the transfer portal is about who's available now. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's about first come, first serve at times. And if you are a player that is waiting until – after the uh, the bowl game, you could be entering in it much later than obviously than other people are, and putting yourself at a disadvantage. So, I understand both sides of it. I understand the the wanting those guys to experience that, but if you're deciding to transfer, it's a personal decision. It's no longer a team decision, which is okay. But you have mm-hmm. to make a personal decision to say, hey. I have to do what's best for me. And, and yeah, I'd love to be a part of this Cotton Bowl and experience the whole atmosphere and environment down in Dallas, but I may miss out on an opportunity because there's a guard at Texas that just jumped in the portal, and I'm a guard at Mizzou. I need to be in front of him. So, you know, you, you have to make those decisions. And it's not like Mizzou hasn't lost guys. Gabari Johnson was a four, uh, four-star four recruit uh, that they had last year that they really liked. He transferred out. He's going to Oregon State. Tyler Hibbler was a, a three-star safety that they liked a lot, and he's heading out. Uh Mikey Lee uh, has left. We don't know where he's going, but he's a big offensive Didn't tackle. Didn't Macon leave last year? That was last year, yeah. though. Tyler Macon. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he left last year. Uh, Demarion Houston is also leaving. Xavier Simmons is headed out the door in the transfer portal, along with Carmichael Glass, EJ Doma Ogar, who never really lived up to what they expected when they got him as a transfer. And then uh, Valen Erickson, DJ Wesselak, Damian Wilson, Max Wisner. Those are the guys leaving Mizzou, and it's not like – You've got your main guys walking out the door, like the quarterback of Ohio State. Right, right. right. That's a big deal when the quarterback of however many quarterbacks there are in the portal. When you lose your quarterback, that's a big deal. I think it's 100 quarterbacks. That's amazing. The last time I saw something like that. That's insane, but especially a starting quarterback. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, the players, even if you enter the transfer portal, you can still play in your team's bowl game, correct? No. no. You're done yeah. with that? I think once you... That's so surprising yeah. that there's been so many players that have been entering. Does it feel like there's just been more of an influx of that this season where there's so many players before a bowl game, which I think that I understand maybe you want to move on, but I do think that especially if it's a very important bowl game, you should be playing in that before you're entering the transfer portal, right? Wouldn't that even help you when you're well, entering the transfer portal to say, look what I did in the bowl game for my team? No, I don't think so. I think if you're entering in the portal it's based on the fact that you feel the need to go somewhere else for an opportunity whether it be financial opportunity or playing opportunity and playing in another bowl game can not really I don't know that it can help you it can probably diminish your 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 ability because now if you get injured if you don't perform well if you take too long other guys again are jumping in front of you that are already in the portal it's it's a this is a a difficult time and I think 
the one thing I think that if you are a parent of a young man or a young player, a young athlete that wants to jump into the portal, you have to have real conversations, hard, tough conversations. I'm looking at it now. It's 1,500 players in the portal, mm-hmm. and 358 of them are committed. Every year, there are there are young men that jump into the football football portal that don't get picked up. And, and don't have their scholarship and anymore. And, and don't have their scholarship anymore. So this is a, a decision that you really have to make and say, do I understand the ramifications of jumping into this portal? Do I Am I clear on the fact that I will be playing in the place that I want to play next year? Or will I have to take a step down and go to a lower level because I didn't get the, the looks that I wanted? Or will I not be anywhere and just watching football the following year because I made a decision and didn't really evaluate my uh, skill set? And this is another aspect to this. And I get that every kid has an ego about playing eventually in the NFL. But 1,500 kids are in the portal, as you said. 250 get drafted into the NFL each year. And maybe uh, 200 of those, 175 of those, make an NFL roster. So it seems to me, and I know it's hard to place your athletic ego aside, but it seems to me that for a lot of these young men, the smart play would be to get their education and recognize that they probably aren't going to get drafted into the NFL. If if you are a backup guard at Mizzou, a backup junior guard at Mizzou, what are the odds that you're getting drafted? You have to have real conversations about mm-hmm. your ability, where you are, where you stand, and and understand like, hey, this is this is you're going to school for free. And I, I try to stress that to my student athletes the most. If you are fortunate enough to get a scholarship to college, yeah. Obviously, you want to play in the NFL, but the ultimate goal is to go to school for free or for a discounted price. That way, if you're if you're on a full ride scholarship, when you graduate from that university mm-hmm. with a degree, you're starting your life out debt free, which a lot of people can't say. Mm-hmm. And so you're already ahead of the game. That's the most important part of all of this. And if you make a decision to to transfer to another school and not get picked up and lose that scholarship, well, now you got to come out of pocket. So. Understanding who you are, having those real conversations with your parents, with your family, with trusted people that you, you know, coaches that you trust, that's important because if not, you could be on the outside looking in. And by the way, uh, all due respect to the uh, the backup guard at Mizzou, he did get signed by Arkansas State, so he's a Red Wolf. So there you go. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, Mizzou and the. Uh, Buckeyes of Ohio State, December 29th, and you can see that game on ESPN. I don't think we're allowed, even though ESPN Radio is carrying it, I think because uh, the Big 550 is the official home of the Tigers, I don't think we're allowed to carry it. Is this true, Mike Ryder? Mike Ryder's talking. Bulletin apparently official. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can't air the game. Uh, no, it's uh, it's not that it's blacked out. It's that we have loose hockey that night. Oh, we have loose hockey that night. Even better. There you go. So tune into us with Blues Hockey and watch Mizzou on TV. According to the uh, voice from whatever ethereal being is in my ears right now, um, no bowl games are blacked out, apparently. Oh, good. Yeah, so apparently that's uh, like so to hear all that. good. Good. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, Chip Kelly. Chip has an idea to condense college football and make it better. But what a work. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A 
I think they're all a problem, and I think we need to have a conference commissioner. And I think football should be separate from the other sports. Just the fact that our school is leaving to go to the Big Ten in football, our, our softball team should be playing Arizona in softball. Our basketball team should be playing Arizona in basketball. But because football left, and they say, well, how do you do that? Well, Notre Dame's independent in football, and they're in a conference and everything else. I think we should all be independent in football. And you can have a 64-team conference that's in the Power Five, and you can have a 64-team conference in the Group of Five, and we separate and we play each other. You can have the West Coast teams, and then every year we play seven games against the West Coast teams, and then we play the East. So we play Syracuse, Boston College, Pitt, West Virginia, Virginia. Then the next year you play against the South while you still play your seven teams. You can play a seven-game schedule. You can play four against another conference, another division opponent, and you can always play against one Mountain West team every year so that we can still keep those rivalries going. Not that I've really thought about this. <laughs> that is UCLA head coach Chip Kelly, who, who adds that from a television standpoint, you just have one TV contract for the 64 teams in the Power Five. And then he says, quote, you can have the West Coast teams, and then every year we play seven games against the West Coast teams, and then we play the East. Uh, and he said... At the end, he, he, he said uh, revenue sharing between schools and players, which in his mind would alleviate a lot of the murkiness of the name, image, and likeness that was brought to the sport in recent years. He said, quote, the players should get paid and you can get rid of NIL and the schools should be paying the players because the players are what the product is. And the fact that they don't get paid is really the biggest travesty. Here's my question. Is it reasonable, with all due respect to UCLA and USC and Cal and Stanford, where... They like their football, but it doesn't control their lives like it does at Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or Georgia. Is it fair to have equal revenue sharing among teams where there aren't as many eyes on the product? I think it's. I think what Chip just said is a a really good idea. It's it's similar to what the NFL does. I mean they they play their division. And then they play a, a conference, mm-hmm. uh, a divisional in a different conference once a year, uh, once every four years. And then they they have they play the champions of the other uh, divisions in their conference every year, so or the the whatever equivalent to where you ranked in that that following that past season. There is something there, uh, and and I agree. I think moving all of the sports out of conference, to, I mean from from one conference to the next, those aren't as as revenue generating sports as as much as football is like if you have you still have to pay for ucla to travel to penn state Mm -hmm. in 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 wrestling or in baseball or in gymnastics or whatever the other sport is if your conference is changing so my question for chip kelly would be if football separates itself from the other sports and you even have to pay for ucla to travel to arizona how do they pay for it well arizona is is you're talking about the other sports. Yeah, how do the other sports pay? Because right they now use the, they use the revenue that they make. But I would I would have to assume that traveling from UCLA to Arizona is much cheaper than traveling from UCLA to to Rutgers. No, my, my question is. Where is the revenue generator for all of the non-revenue sports? Oh, it's, if, it's if, football. If, if football is a separate entity, <laughs> yeah, yeah. because he said we're separating ourselves, football goes How out do on those its merit. Other programs make right. money. Got yes. you for the school. Yeah, yeah, that, that that that's a tough task as well. Now the money is only allotted to the football program as opposed yep. to those other programs, which is really the lifeblood for to help mm-hmm. those other programs. I, I see what you're saying there. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. And that's where I think 100% right. This is an idea that makes a lot of sense. It really does. 
But when it comes to the money, that's where the issue is. Also, I don't really see the SEC. We know how powerful the SEC is, mm-hmm. or even the Big Ten wanting to share money and power. Do you guys see no. them wanting to do that? No. So there's there's another big problem that the SEC, it just means more, but also they don't want to share more. <laughs> well, and, and if you're the commissioner of the Big 12 or the ACC, Hey, if you're going to have one commissioner for the Power 5, 64 teams, it's going to be Greg Sankey, isn't it? So Mm -hmm. why would you want to give up your power and your salary and your job if you're the commissioner of the Big 10 or the the Big 12 or the ACC? Yeah, that's where that's the big problem right (laughs) there. And you'd also have to, I feel like, say theoretically this does happen. So one, that would be a huge issue and obstacle to get over is that because I just don't believe that the SEC or any of the big power five schools would want to give up that much power or share in the power. But you would also, I feel like, have to have a college football players association or something like that to counterbalance this to represent the players. And that would be a whole nother thing you would have to start in itself. And some players would have to take pay cuts. If, if all of a sudden we got to a point where there were colleges actually paying Paying the players as employees, and we got rid of name, image, likeness. Caleb Williams is making six million dollars a year. Is USC going to be able to pay him six million dollars a year? I don't think so. No. Oh, I mean, there, there is. It's a lot of money being passed around legally mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I mean, back right. in the '80s, it was being done, and it was just bags dropped off. But it, there is more <laughs> money being passed around now. I said legally for these players, and I, I'm happy for that because they deserve it. There, there is a, I think about D Brown. D Brown, I would go to the store in Illinois in Champaign and see his jerseys at every single place. I see fans. He, he was the man at Illinois. He wasn't receiving any of that revenue for that, and that's unfortunate because D Brown didn't play, have a long career in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So you know that's a way for him to have made money and, and life changing money had he been able to do that. They have it now, which is awesome for these players, but they're they're, they're trying to police it, and I, I think it's just too late. I think it's too late to try yeah. to police it after it's already started in the manner in which it has. Yeah, 100%. I think that the the thought is great, right? That Chip Kelly, he's not wrong. It's a great idea, and I think a lot of people agree with it. But then money, that's always hard to get past, well, right? And that's the big issue here. And why are we here? Because UCLA wanted the money to go to the Big Ten, <laughs> there you go. right? Yeah. Yeah. USC, USC and UCLA, that's the most ridiculous thing of all, is USC and UCLA traveling to Rutgers, or whatever, even yeah. even a football team, yeah. and that's where the ridiculousness mm-hmm. comes from. I don't think any of the others were as egregious. Uh, Maryland joining the Big Ten, right. or Rutgers joining the Big Ten, uh, Colorado or whatever. Joining Most the of Pac-12. them were were close enough where you could. I think the weirdest one was um, West Virginia joining the Big, Big 12. Twelve. Yeah, yeah, that was one. You're like, what the hell? Yeah, but then <laughs> you, why would they do that? What are we doing here? But but you could if you squint hard enough, you, just, uh, you gotta really squint. <laughs> use a sharpie and then just put put it around the map, okay. like just kind of like tornadoes hitting Alabama. Uh, but yeah, you just you use a sharpie. You can barely touch the tip of where you're just barely over there. Just right there, she right there. We belong. Okay, I guess. Yeah, but now, the, the, I mean. How can you call the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference? How can you call it that when you have Cal and Stanford? That's it's it's <laughs> just it's don't, don't look at strange. it. Strange. Yeah. Don't don't pay attention. Don't look at all of that. Yeah. It's just the yeah. ACC. Carbon don't worry footprint. about it. Yeah. Right. So all of a sudden, like you said, Brooke, it all comes back to money, and it's their own fault. If we're trying to revamp something and make it like it was, maybe we should have just kept it like it was. Yeah. <laughs>
Nah. I don't know. That's a, that's a thought. Yeah. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch with rock and roll here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. We need to finish this debate. We forgot, yeah, what, no, we forgot what I was going to talk about this segment. You guys are <laughs> wasted on my brain. Great debates <laughs> off air, and most are, um, you know, brought to the forefront by Matthew Rocchio. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he is the the great debater. One would say <laughs> because he debates everything. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter the topic. Matthew, aka the great debater, this is what he lives for. He enjoys. Uh, to have these conversations. Sorry, why do you guys wake up in the morning? <laughs> Clearly not. You, you wake up with, with vitriol and, and <laughs> on your brain. Yeah. I got a point to prove and daggone it, you all agree. I didn't gonna wake up thinking I was going to make an argument about this, but you know, <laughs> I'm here for it if you guys need it. Clearly. <laughs> we, can, we can at least say that we're going to do a Christmas movie draft tomorrow, right? We so are. if yeah. you want to send in your suggestions, <laughs> what you think. But also, here's a question for the audience, and we just got to figure this out You've never out heard this one before. Okay, if a movie is on a specific date, let's say Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, that's going to be a Christmas movie, right? I think so. You would think so. Because why else would the movie even uh, mention that it's on the 24th here's my and question. the 25th? When is the movie Marketing. played? Mm. Like, when do you watch the movie? Is it is it a year-round movie, or do you no, see it's these? No, a little... Years? Is it okay. kind of... And here's, a, here's another question. Time of year. So it, it was brought up in, in one argument that you could move movie A to any holiday. Uh, Carrie, Brooke, Matthew. Yes. Can you please give me your list of favorite Memorial Day songs? Uh, no. Well, here's another thing. Because we were talking about Die Hard, and, and Die Hard... It'd be pretty hard to have those white coats on that they had on hiding themselves in the snow if it was a July 4th movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's just... Good thing, there's no, other, it, uh, good thing there's no other camouflage in the world. Oh, my that was uh, That was a Die Hard. Debater. That was Die Hard 2, by the way. Oh, yeah. Was Die Hard 2? Yeah. Still Christmas time. But I just think it's very Winter important time, it because a whole yeah. movie, if it's going to be on a specific date, why even mention the date if it's not important to the movie concept well, of it being a Christmas Matthew, movie? It doesn't matter. So then why and are they snowmen mentioning are it? not Christmas for marketing purposes because the movie came out during the holidays when the movie was released because it's a holiday blockbuster because it's a holiday that's how movie the, that's how the that's how movies work I don't like but that's no, why you, you make it that's no. why you, you that's why you said it that's how movies work understand that part of how movies work well how the heck don't you understand that movies can't just change a theme based no, on my it point can is, happen is any time of the year you can change change the holiday change the whole premise of the movie change the company holiday Holiday party at Nakatomi Plaza to their Fourth of July party. Hey, give me a Fourth of July song. 
that they're playing at the movie. I'll, I'll play any. I'll play <laughs> God Bless America. I'll play Bruce Springsteen. I, I, I'll play any song that you play during the summer. Like there okay. are some. There are yeah, summer so, songs. So people think that that's a Fourth of July song. I think. I think. That, I think it gets played a lot around Fourth of July. Oh so. my so, god! You're entitled. Just, you can. You can. Wait, hold on. You can soundtrack non-Christmas movies. What does that mean? You're saying that just because it plays Christmas songs, it is a Christmas movie. No, I didn't say just be, but because. The entire thing surrounds Christmas. John McClane is flying home to see his kids at Christmas. He could fly home to see his kids at any holiday. When, when does somebody hold a giant teddy bear to give their kids a present on Fourth of July? Name one instance. You can hold, you can give a, t- a kid a teddy bear at any holiday. You, you specifically? For a birthday? Oh, specifically. My almost, God. I don't know. I'm not specifically. Okay, Thank you. I'm not too specific. <laughs> Are teddy bears Christmas? <laughs> like that's my a Christmas, that's a Christmas <laughs> present. It was it had, it had a huge Christmas bow around. Well, his yeah. Neck. I mean, but let's say you take the bow off, and now it's now it's a birthday oh, present. See, now have you're you, arguing for the sake of being. Have you ever? Oh my god! Argument. I just wonder. Have you ever? Brooke, Brooke mentioned the word concede, like concede an argument. Have you ever just conceded an argument? It, it, like so, yeah, are, have I, you? yes. I I'm just having I, like this is just fun for me. I, I'm not sure why I need to concede. Witnessed. A concession on your behalf during an argument. That's because every <laughs> argument we have is about things that don't, in the grand scheme, matter. So it's fun to just go back uh, and forth with it. That's why still, I do but it. Still, but so, still, if uh, something's presented to you, it's okay to say, you know what? Yeah, now that you present it in that way, I see way, it a little different. And then we wouldn't have had this conversation. So timing-wise, oh you, you, you mentioned timing. <laughs> oh my uh, god! Would you generally think that you release a Christmas movie on October fourteenth? No, no. That'd be a Halloween movie. I would think so. Yeah, be, I would think so. I don't think so. If Michael so it's a Myers, movie. all right, fine. Uh, White Christmas was released um, on October 14th. Was it really? Of 1954. Was it really? Yes. Oh, wow. Not a Christmas movie. Well, I mean, Christmas. it's got the word in it. Mm-hmm. Just I think it's got the word in it. That 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 that, that ends the argument, doesn't it? Oh my god. Uh, not do you only do you only like Hallmark Christmas movies cuz that's oh, like extremely Christmas. I do not watch yeah. any Hallmark Christmas movies. But those are if that's the most Christmas so, you can get. So for yeah, they are very Christmas. For a movie to be Christmas for you, Christmas related, it has to have it has to take place on on or around Christmas Day. Hold on, let me finish. On or around <laughs> Christmas Day, <laughs> it has to have no, timing doesn't a Christmas make any tree. <laughs> In the in the movie, yeah, sure. Oh, that's okay. important. Sure, oh, right, really. You were saying it. Christmas tree. Because there's no Christmas trees. No Christmas well, trees. Christmas time. There's no Christmas trees in Little Drummer Boy. And that's okay. a Christmas movie. Okay. Oh <laughs> no. <laughs> is there a Christmas tree? Randy's in, isn't there a Christmas right tree now. in um in Die Hard? Don't there they is. have a Christmas tree? So that, there are. that it's a Christmas that, party. It's a Christmas party. Okay, all right. So what makes it a Christmas movie? In your in your the theme. Holy shit. The theme of the movie has to be about Christmas. The theme of Die Hard isn't about Christmas. It's that he it's that it's one guy stopping an entire group of terrorists. That's the At theme Christmas of Die Hard. Time. So then but, Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. I'll give you Home Alone. Uh, uh so what? It's a Wonderful Life is not a Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie. Because the what theme, makes it Christmas? There's because no the enti- the entire the theme of the theme of him learning how important he is to other people through his through his adventures alongside Clarence definitely is connected how, how is to Christmas, Christmas. Involved until the very last scene, the very last thirty seconds. How is Christmas involved? Because that's why he that's why he that's why the feelings break. That's why he realizes how important he is to the family. So that makes it a she makes the, movie. She makes so the comment about the, an the hour angels and everything. thirty of no Christmas, and then the last thirty seconds are a Christmas song. Because, a Christmas because it's about a Christmas because it's about the Christmas theme. Yes. What a ridiculous argument. Family. <laughs> 
family love, compassion. I actually, don't, I don't so, like it. It's a Wonderful Life, so it's, I'm making this argument from a little bit of a blind spot. Silly, silly <laughs> I don't like that movie, so. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. no. I kind of just wish he would get pushed off the bridge when he's complaining. We're getting like Clarence. a glimpse yeah. into our post Clarence, I just want to live. Just go off the bridge. This is uh, how we, uh, by, this is what we do. By the way, Caden Green fun. is official now, guys. Congratulations. Yes. Right. There you go. CG. Uh, oh, he, the offensive tackle, Lee Summit North, five-star <laughs> offensive tackle. He was a true freshman last year, right? Started every game at left tackle for Oklahoma, where the wind. But now he's a member of your M-I-Z-Z-O-U Tigers. Uh, congratulations to him and Mizzou. I'm sure he wants to go to their outstanding veterinary school there. Six six three fifteen. Oh, really? It's one of the best veterinary schools in America. I had no idea about really? that. Yeah, it's great. Well, wow. I had a good broadcasting school there. Uh, yes. Well, yeah, journalism. journalism. Like the, the, the best journalism. Best broadcasting school is Lindenwood. Oh. Oh. Well, guys, we have a we have a lot of questions here on the text line cuz uh-huh. before we go into this draft, uh, Lethal Weapon 1, Christmas movie? Christmas movie. Oh, no question. Okay. Um you said um we're good on Die Hard. Di- uh, Die Hard, we're good on Home oh, Alone. Yep. Um we're seeing some other one Gremlins. Uh, the Mike Ryder and yes. some Texas yeah. Gremlins, Gremlins is a Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. All right, cool. Harry Potter. I've never seen a Harry, Harry Potter. Harry Potter's movie. not a Christmas movie. There's I've cri- never there's seen Christmas a Christmas that's movie. happening in the Harry Potter movie. That's <laughs> not a Christmas movie. Come on. I wouldn't that's get a I can't help you. If that, if I can't that, help you. If that I do love Harry tomorrow, Potter. That's, a, that's, like, that, that's like taking Ty Hill in the first round. <laughs> Stop it. No. I do love Harry Potter, though. Uh, I do watch it around Christmas time. But okay, fine. Well, I'll concede. Look, 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 look at me. I'm conceding. Apparently, we have a text saying Rambo's a Christmas movie. Movie, there's a Christmas tree in the there police station when he gets arrested. When he, when he went crazy in there. Mm-hmm. So is that oh, a Christmas tree? Okay, movie? well, if Rambo gets a Christmas tree, then Harry Potter gets back in the conversation because they had Christmas trees. Okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like there me. should be some rules here, is all no. I'm saying. Yeah, no rules. Your no rules, rules scare me. Everything is just a Christmas movie now. Come Good. on! Yeah, it can be. Depending well, on what time of year the movie So, takes so place. if a movie takes place across an entire calendar year and at any scene no, they show me no, Christmas. Because that's Harry no, Potter. No, no. That's, that's the Harry Potter argument. You're, you're arguing no. against a movie that its entirety is in Christmas. Yes, that is his argument. Well, I'm moving on from that argument. And I'm just asking no, now what are the parameters? That's not oh. you, are, you guys asked me to move on from the argument. I, 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 I conceded. What the heck do you want me to do? If the movie is centered around Christmas, if if it's a Home Alone, if it's a White Christmas, if it is a, it's a one, because of the time of year, I will grant you it's a wonderful life. I will obviously go with Die Hard. I would say if the movie is, how about this? If it's, it is traditionally shown at Christmas time, oh. that it is a Christmas movie. How about that? Mm, yes. That's a good one. Fair? I, I, I'm with that. Okay, good. Yeah. So we're, we're just going with public sentiment then. There's there nothing wrong with public sentiment. All right. uh, great job today by our producer, audio video engineer, Matthew Rocky. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, did you have fun today? Yes. How about that? How about that? How about that? Is David getting anything? Getting cookies? No, I'm trying to eat them before <laughs> I get home because he'll eat all the cookies. You, got the, you, you, you could take something. You got a bag of popcorn. No? no? Okay. <laughs> David, I'm sorry, brother. These are, I'm hiding these. CD. Show us your face. We want to see your face. Who said that? You want to see my face?
Hey, tomorrow morning we also have uh, Ask Uncle Randy, and uh, you can either text us tomorrow morning. You know, we never use uh, Ask Uncle Randy at 101ESPN.com. The, the email is there for you, especially at this time of year. This can be a stressful time, and Ask Uncle Randy is here to help you out tomorrow morning at 7.15. Tim McKernan and uh, his buddy Ajax coming up with a balloon party from he, I think Tim calls it the greatest hour in broadcasting uh, but it's f- from 10 to 11 and then we've got uh, another show we've got uh, BK and Ferrario is Alex actually here today though don't know yes yes he is, is he, okay good and then uh, the fast lane from 2 to 6 here on 101 ESPN for all of us here in the opening drive we thank you for tuning in texting in and being a part of the show and until tomorrow morning at 7 have a meh Tuesday everyone that's right meh Tuesday You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.